The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five fight finishes that you probably forgot about in MMA with special guest Jordan Killian. As per usual, we went deep. Strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night is up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom analyst whose work you could find at mmajunkie.com as well as mma junkie radio but on this here program the protect your neck podcast we break down high level mma that's what we're going to do here today tonight uh in a slightly different way though it's a top five episode not a breakdown episode that's right the relenting UFC schedule has uh, halted for a second, and we get to revisit these fun top five episodes to kind of look back in the history's perspective, at least, you know, in regards to our air quote sport. And to do that, I always need a co-host and what one of the most known co-hosts at this point on the show. I think he, he holds a uh, scoreboard. He is the Donald Cerrone a Protect Your Neck podcast co-host. That's right. That's Jordan Killian at JYork87. What's up, Jordan? Yo, dude, I think I got my monster sponsored shirt on just like cowboy. I've got my hat. I'm ready to go. <laughs> you just sew it on. Uh, do you sew, sew the patch on on the inside of the clothing? too? Yep. Drink, drinking a Budweiser and everything. That's what's up, dude. Uh, well, thanks for joining me uh, for this one, uh, Jordan. Um, this is going to be a fun one. We're doing top five fight finishes you probably forgot about, of course, um, in MMA. Uh, we're, we'll probably, you know. I'll probably hold off the official setup setup because Jordan, I'm gonna actually have you. Uh, you've done this enough times. You're gonna you're gonna help set this one up because peeling back behind the curtain. This was your 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 idea from from a couple times ago. It's one we we definitely marked and been meaning to do. I'm glad we're doing it. Uh, so we'll page note that just for a quick second. And uh, since you know a fight card did just end and. There has been things going on in the world of MMA. I figured we would take a second just to kind of touch up on some results from last week's card, which was UFC on ESPN Plus 10 that went down in Rochester, New York. And uh, perhaps, you know, a couple other things in the current events uh, uh, sphere, if you will. Uh, so, uh, Jordan, you want you want to wax and uh, weigh in uh, on these with me? Yeah, dude. You watch the card, I take it, live, or do you have to go back and watch it? Um, I watched bits of it live and then I had to go back. Like I saw the, the, like the last three fights live, but I had to go back and watch a couple of the, uh, the earlier fights after the fact. And, you know, I don't get to talk to you, uh, you know, uh, as often as I'd like, and I'm not sure when the last time we podcasted, but the rise of the streaming services, my friend, speaking of which I had to ask you there, I had to preface and ask you, did you watch it live or go back? Because as you and everybody knows, especially, you know, End of 2018, uh, beginning of 2019, a lot of streaming services has taken over. How, how have you been holding up with that? And especially, I guess, uh, in regards to ESPN Plus, one, the one we're, we're, we're covering now. Yeah, it's actually more up my alley because I had already I was already a cable cutter a while ago, and I've I've moved to almost exclusively streaming services. So this this is where the ESPN Plus has worked out fine for me. Uh, I like it quite a bit. Uh, I haven't had any issues with with the. Uh, with the this the signal or the service itself my my only criticism is that these these damn uh, fight titles are awful 
They yeah. don't roll off oh, the yeah. tongue at all. UFC Fight Night 152 on ESPN plus 10. Like it's it's like you're reading off a of like, you know, it's like the 17th chapter. And it, 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 we're probably going to get to Game of Thrones later. But it's like when you're going through Daenerys' titles and like an hour and a half later, you're like, yeah, and the Andals and the First Men and the Roinar. And yeah, <laughs> it makes it easier to lose track in what is already a complaint of being an oversaturated era. And mm-hmm. let's be honest, it's like, was three titles not enough? Like, you I know. know, like Fight Night so and so versus so and so, UFC Fight Night so and so, UFC right. City title. Like, we already had three to sift through that, like, yeah. especially for editors, anybody that did SEO, like, knows that nightmare of, like, getting everybody on board, but then at the end of the day, still having to type in every individual tag. Let's just add another one. Yeah, I know. And I can't I can't decide if I think it's better or worse than like back when it was like UFC retribution. <laughs> yeah, like, like, we I remember back in those days, we used to joke like, what's it going to be like when they get to UFC 200, bro? It's going to be like, yeah, UFC 200. Uh, I don't you know, like uh, <laughs> UFC bicentennial. Here yeah. come the fireworks. UFC 200 fuck party. Like they just completely <laughs> ran out of just words to use. They're just. Why not? Sorry, guys. This is a Protect Your Neck podcast. You know there's going to be a bit of uh, inappropriate language and a lot of inappropriate stuff in general. So so there's there's that. But, yeah, um, I, I actually you know, haven't had complaints so much about the service. Like I, I get that they're behind. I, I want the 10-second fast forward. Um, I want this. I want that. But a lot of these things are things that we're just going to kind of have to wait till they iron out. Uh, it, it's definitely a pain. Like I, even for work, like I have ESPN Plus, but it's still easier uh, you know, f- uh, whether it's DAZN or ESPN Plus to just, you know, do the old Google fight pass uh, yep. and, and watch the illegal version. Like, it's sad when that's the that's the state that of things. True. But yeah. um, but but aside from that, I actually didn't have a bad, uh, you know, streaming up until this one. This was the first one where I, you know, I was kind of dealing with it. But, you know, I it's whatever at this point. Like, it doesn't really ruin my day. There's just so much MMA. But this was a deceptively... A deceptively good card. I guess we'll just we'll just go from uh, uh, top to bottom there. Obviously, Dos Anjos beat Kevin Lee. Uh, arm triangle choke round four. And uh, I want to get your opinion on this, Jordan. But I'll just say, uh, you know, listeners already knew mine. And I don't say this as a hedge. Like, I don't say this that often uh, to, to keep it genuine. But I genuinely felt this way about this fight and the fight I compared it to, which was Pitbull Chandler. And, of course, mm, my, my yeah. biases had me picking... The uh, the pressure pre- the presser the pressure wrestler that I knew so to speak, but uh, even on the breakdowns on here and the video breakdown for Junkie, I said you know watch out for Dos Anjos. You let off the gas, he's still alive mm-hmm. in round four, and that's kind of what I saw. It was my initial lean was not just Dos Anjos, but actually in the latter rounds, and it should have stuck with my gut. And uh, I hope RDA gets his cred, man. That guy's going to be a tough out for as long as he continues to fight. Yeah, no, I agree, man. That was I, I when I saw that this was a five rounder, or, or when you know when they announced it as a main event, I was like, I'm going to go RDA because I think he would survive the storm, and it, that's exactly it. Lee has looked great early in fights, but he's gassed, and it's a five round fight, and I'm, I'm taking the guy with the better gas tank. And that's that's RDA. So I, it played out kind of exactly how I thought it would. Yeah, no, no, I I, I definitely uh, see why the line shifted and a lot of people, uh, including people I respect, obviously were on RDA. It wasn't a, wasn't a bad call at all. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully Kevin Lee bounces back, kind of just finds where he wants to go from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian Heinish defeating Antonio Carlos Jr. This was, uh, my, I went three and own props the week before this. None of the props hit for this week, but both the dogs <laughs> hit. One of them was, was Ian Heinish. And again, it was a real similar fight to the Caesar Fajeda fight. He finds kind of momentum late in round two after essentially being dominated or at the very least losing up until that point. 
And uh, the dude just freaking overperforms, man. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of uh, hopes for this one. I guess I didn't have a lot of hype behind this one. I thought right. it would be a, an interesting fight to watch. And um, it, it was uh, – I, I read your column going into it, so I kind of uh, – I was kind of looking for those things. And, yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head here with this one. Uh, and then uh, Felicia Spencer defeated uh, Megan Anderson. This was another one where I think in hindsight I, – I was on the right side of this pick, but, again, kind of uh, referencing the main event where I was on the wrong side. It's one of those ones where – in hindsight, you're like, you know, that doesn't really surprise me at all. I, I would think anybody picking Me- Megan Anderson here, uh, I don't blame them. But I also could see, I also got to imagine no one was really surprised when that outcome played out. If you look at her history, you know, being submitted by Cindy Dandois and sorts. Yeah, and uh, not only did Felicia Spencer have the uh, the line of the week where she uh, yeah. she was asked about the the six inch height difference, and she said that six inches isn't a big deal to her, and uh, <laughs> every guy was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> whatever shut up whatever shut up and uh <laughs> but then uh you know she goes out and gets the win and you know what back-to-back wins over ladies named barb and megan so good for her or was it pam ah damn it i had it all queued up and everything i screwed it up she beat a girl a lady named pam you gotta respect a woman who win- gets a win over a lady named pam it's all good man yeah i don't i uh i actually uh i'm i'm glad you brought up the uh six inches line because uh Shout out to my English teacher. By the way, an English teacher like this can't exist in, in today's uh, in today's era for the things that he would say, including what I'm about to give to you, which is which is a six inch line. But Jennings was uh, he was kind of like Jennings in uh, Animal House, very similar. May have slept with the students as well. But uh, we'd have to do uh, essentially it's a real short story, guys. We'd have to do uh, daily journal entries on a college rule paper, one page per day. So at the end of the week, you're supposed to have five full pages. And you do, we would have a journal check. You go up to Jennings, the English teacher, and you just pretty much just show him that there's five full pages. He didn't give a shit. He didn't read it, right? And you were done. And uh, this girl, Tilly, who was a cheerleader, comes up, and she has this little notebook with, like, bedazzles, sprinkles, and flowers on it and puts it on Jennings' desk. And he just looks at it. What's this, Tilly? It's my notebook, Mr. Jennings. <sighs> Tilly, this isn't, this isn't a regulation-sized notebook. And she's like, you know, this isn't college ruled. And, she, and her response is very ditzy cheerleader. I'm not playing it up. Like this was her response. She goes, well, I mean, it's, it's six inches. That's big enough, right? And Jenny, and I just sat right by Jenny's desk. And I was one of the people that got his humor. So Jennings just looks at me, looks back at her with a shitty grin on his face, leans back in his seat. He goes, Tilly, six inches might be big to you, but it's not to me. <laughs> right over her head. She had no clue, and I'm just trying not to. I'm like, how does this guy have a fucking job? Anyways. That's the early 2000. That's like the mid to early 2000s for you. Oh, that can is. never happen now. It is like we had a Chinese exchange student, uh, and uh, and when the, during the SARS epidemic, and anytime he would come into class, he'd be like, everybody's got SARS. Put your put put your hands on the mouth, and the kid would freak out. He'd be like, Jennings, that is American propaganda. I, I will have you punished. And this, like, he would freak kids out. It was. It, I, I have endless stories. Don't get me started. But yeah, six that six inches line reminded me yep. of yep she won the week yes she did she did line of the week uh I, I would have picked her alone just for that but uh but she fucking hustles and gets after that so let's see if they put together that cyborg fight good. probably yeah. a good fight for cyborg since they're not in a rush obviously to put together the rematch so why not anyways um yeah uh we had uh vincente luque uh beat Derek krantz that was uh Fun. Uh, Charles Oliveira defeating Nick Lentz. That's always fun. <laughs> Davi, Davi Hamosh, or David Ramos, as uh, Brian Schoonover, other co-hosts <laughs> yeah, would say, yeah. uh, defeated Austin Hubbard. Any, anything else on that main card you want to say? 
Uh, I, I was bummed when Magni got popped and had to pull out because I was excited for the Luke Magni fight. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know how differently it would have gone. I still would have taken Luke in it, but um, I think, and you know, nothing, nothing against Kranz. He came in as a tough spot to come in short notice and he's a game opponent and he probably would have found himself to the UFC at one point anyways. But uh, I really wanted to see that Magni Luke fight. I thought that would have been a good fight. Yeah, definitely. That, that was, that was, that was kind of crappy, but um, you know, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't even want to. I don't even want to put the silver lining on it because uh, the silver lining was going to be Magni's a good dude and people aren't throwing shade at him. And that's nice to see. But at the end of the day, yeah. we're still having to deal with this funky USADA process. So, yep. yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm just going to read off re- results and and you just uh, maybe pick off which what which, which you like here, Jordan. We had Aspen Lad defeating Sajara Eubanks, and I probably have to amend my top five female fights, by the way, and, and maybe slide that one in there. Am, am I wrong by saying that there, Jordan? No, it was a fun fight. Way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that was fun. I don't know if I'm just, you know, recency biased, but... Uh, Lad needs to get some head movement. Yeah. <laughs> but she's a good fighter. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I thought, geez. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, that was like, oh, Sarge is going to take this with these, these exchanges. Mm-hmm. I felt like that felt, again, Cyborg Nunes-esque uh, almost to a yeah. second, for a second there. Uh, Desmond Green uh, defeated Charles Jordan by unanimous decision. Uh, Michelle Pajedo, uh, very Johnny <laughs> Walker-esque, uh, beating yes. Danny Roberts. Picked Roberts, but it, again, that, that's why that one was on the avoid list, folks. I didn't. I had a bad feeling about. I got a bad feeling um, about this. Yeah, that that was a that was a brutal one. You know, it's a it's a good performance when you get shouted out on uh, on Sports Center. He was uh, that finish got shown on Sports Center, so good for him. Jesus, and and, and like I said uh, last week, that the size difference was going to be big because this guy used to fight at heavyweight, and uh, like I also said on the last episode, he. Uh, if there's a USADA pool, he's the guy that's kind of just dipping his toes and testing the water. He's not fully in, you know. <laughs> N- Novitsky's yep. over in the deep end going, come on, it's great, Michelle. He's like, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. Just, yeah. <laughs> he's going to fight in Brazil for his next 12 fights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or or the random Russia card where, you know, uh-huh. stateside doping. So there's kind of, anyways. Uh, <laughs> Grant Dawson <laughs> defeated Mike Trezano by a rear naked choke. Uh, Ed, Ed Herman. How about Ed Herman defeating Pat, Pat Cummins? Ed Herman's still doing the damn thing by TKO. Hey, hey, give yourself a shout out there, man. I was I was on Twitter. I was actually watching because I watched the first few fights and I was watching this fight specifically because I, I really like Ed Herman and I like Pat Cummins too. And I was watching that fight and I was on Twitter and you were like, hey, he needs to watch out ducking his head. And then like 25 seconds later, he caught him with a knee right on the dome. And I was like, well, shit, go buy a lotto ticket, Dan. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, too bad I, I actually picked Pat Cummins in that fight, but I appreciate that, man. Yeah, and and, and I I try not to be uh, that guy. I was talking to uh, I, I was talking to a, a a buddy of mine. I'm actually gonna plug I'll plug I'll plug his YouTube channel here at the end, uh, so I, I'll save the plug for then. But uh, and and we're just talking about you know uh, he said something along the similar lines, and I was like you know you just I, I kind of go by what the fighters say in regards to the, the, how they treat their career. I think it's just a healthy thing in all walks of life. Don't get too high and don't get too low. But it was surprising. Like I, I try to type that stuff, not to you know be ooh, I told you so. But uh, seeing seeing love for like a right prediction like that was, was kind of cool. So thank you guys for that. But at the same time, I'm worried about compliments. So, <laughs> yeah. but I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, and yeah, I do like both guys too, Jordan. I'm with you. Like again, I didn't just pick Pat. I'm, I'm a fan of Pat as well. He obviously still trains under my coach there, Neil Melanson, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he's had a tough go, man. He got thrown into the deep end. Was too good to even get fights or much less regional fights had to call out Daniel Cormier last minute to get his career going. And, uh, mm-hmm. was stuck in the deep end ever since man. And yep. anyways, uh, and then Zach Cumming defeats, uh, Trevin Giles. Nice. Yeah. That was a nice comeback there, man. Holy crap. Uh, on, on that fight by guillotine choke after rocking him with the left hand, 
Really surprised to see Cummings rock Giles there. Didn't see that coming. Yeah, neither did I, man. And again, I'm a big Zach Cummings fan. I don't, you know, I've taken him as the dog play at times. It's not that I disrespected mm-hmm. him here, but uh, this fight again was on the avoid list. There was too many intangibles, but I picked Giles. And uh, Arce over Rosa, man, man. Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off keeps getting iced in the UFC, huh? Yeah, I've got a I've got a small gripe here, like a thirty second rant. Yeah, uh, nothing against Julian Arosa. He's a, he's a good dude, very good fighter. Uh, but I don't know how he keeps getting fights in the UFC. <laughs> like he had a decent he had a decent performance on the Dana White series, but there's been probably 10 guys off the top of my head who have performed better on that same uh, on that same show and have gotten in. And I know he was on the UFC or the ultimate fighter or whatever, but like uh, I, and maybe this is just some, some home Homer issues here, but like Chris Curtis doesn't get in uh, yeah, and now he's fighting was... the PFL, which is, which is fine, you know, and he's going for a million bucks. So good for him. But Man, Julian Arosa, nothing against the guy, but he keeps getting iced left and right, and he keeps getting fights. But you won't bring a guy like Chris Curtis in who, to fight at 170, which is a, a great division full of really good fighters. That That's just mind-boggling to me. And, again, I, this sounds like I'm shitting on Julian Arosa. It's not the point. Totally. But, no, no, no. Uh, I, I hope he's 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 well. That was a pretty pretty brutal head kick that he took. But but that that's one of those just head scratchers. When I saw they announced that fight, and I was like, Arosa's still fighting in the UFC? It's just bizarre to me. Yeah, that I mean, I you know he's an old Fallis guy, and he he comes down and does parts of his camp at Extreme Couture. So I definitely, even though I pick against him, I definitely you know got respect for the guy. Obviously, yeah, for sure. But 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 yeah, great point. I mean, especially Chris Curtis, he is the kind of the biggest head scratcher from that. Mm-hmm. Especially where now you look at the trend, where not only are they just using Dana White Contender Series guys to fill cards, but even the losers, like uh, like a lot of times I'll go back and just read my write-ups just to get me get a refresher you know whenever they cycle they, they decide to cycle these guys back in like a year later in some ufc butt fuck card wherever <laughs> butt fuck egypt plus seven and uh, i'm like okay well oh where did i see this guy I'm like, oh this guy was a loser and i don't i'm supposed to grade the winners but i would always make sure to try to at least write a little bit about the losers especially if it was a good effort like we might still see this guy and like all those are true because they're really just bringing in losers as fast as winners at this point like right yeah Anyways, but yeah, no, no, totally. I get that's that's a good point. And by the way, to add to that, I actually like the the younger guys like Chris Curtis going PFL. Go get more money, yep, experience, sure. and name recognition. You just up your bargaining power and recognition and skill level and percentage of 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 uh, doing better by the time you get to the UFC, as opposed yep. to the uh, Patrick Cummings, which is the other end of the spectrum. You know, right. rush too fast, you're stuck there. Yep. Good point. Right. Uh, before we get to this top five, let's just let's talk about the real business. There's a lot going on in the MMA world, but. You know, the, the, the there's finally some closure to the Seven Kingdoms, and I know it's taken over <laughs> Twitter. It's one of the few things Old Contrarian Dan Tom actually kind of follows up to date. I started a little bit late. I think I started at season three, so I was behind okay. two seasons when I first started. But I've invested some years in, so even though it's silly and people take a TV show way too goddamn seriously at the same time, I get it, and uh, I got sucked into. So, so what's what, what was your opinion? What's your are you a big fan of the show at all, Jordan? Dude, this so this is one of those things where it's like I'm maybe too close to the source material to like be able to be objective about it. Like, because I'm a huge fan. I I started with the first season of the show um, and got hooked. So I went out and bought the books, read the books, um, kept watching the show. They released a couple more books while the show's going. So I am like a super fan. Like I know a weird amount. Of, I know probably more Westerosi history than I do about United States history, and that's not 
being uh, being like a d- joke at all. I, I'm being wow. serious. I, I probably know more about Aegon Targaryen's conquering than I do about the revolution. Did you read the, the American books? Revolution. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you read the books? Okay. No, no, yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. That's why I'm asking. So go ahead. So, oh no, you're good. So, so yeah. So I've read all the books. I've watched the show, and uh, ever since they have surpassed the the source material, the books. Um, th- there's been a, a bit of a decline and this season, it was a pretty steep decline in my, in my estimation. I know a lot, I know it's pretty divisive. Um, I don't think it was awful. I think the thing that bugged me about the the finale or the end of it, and I'm not going to say anything cause I mean, I feel like if you haven't seen it at this point, you're probably not going to see it, but, uh, without being too overtly spoilery, I think where they got with all the characters is fine. I think where they ended was fine. I think how they got there was really bad. Yeah, <laughs> and like yeah. they, they just shortcutted a lot of shit. It just felt like they wanted to get it over with mail it all. in, right? Mail. Oh, yeah, dude, mail it, it was in. like, we've got three star Wars movies on the, on the horizon here. Uh, cause it, uh, an article came out and said that HBO offered them basically an unlimited budget and 10 episodes to do this final season. And they were like, nah, we're good. We can do it in six. And like, I know that they were long, like they were longer episodes, but like just hearing that's like so disheartening. Cause there's so much stuff that like, Dialogue was bad. A lot of stories that just like got it seemed like were very relevant and important just wound up not being important. Uh, certain character arcs just got kind of shit on towards the end. So I'm real down on this last season and the finale. But uh, overall, it's still, I think, you know, a top five show of all time. So it's a bummer for me. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts, though. Where are you where are you stand on it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't. I mean, I'm only I've only I'm on my, like my four, probably my fourth rewatch, which is probably fair to say. Um, because again, before each season would come out, you kind of do your rewatches and yeah. I, I'm not sure that kind of gets sketchy on how you accumulate those. And I don't really care. I've watched it a hundred times. That's not what I'm trying to say here anyway. So I don't <laughs> yeah. give a shit, but I'm just, just for context here, I guess. Uh, but I'm starting to kind of pick up those histories you were talking about, but only because it's, you know, I've rewatched it multiple times yeah. and I'm a detail nut, but I haven't read the books, but I agree with you this last season. Like I couldn't help, but every time, like something I would dis- disagreeable with it. Uh, with an episode would come out or just kind of atrocious, like as far as writing goes. Because again, if we're talking about cinematography, budget, special right. effects, acting performances, like yeah. th- those hit the checkbox for not I only great, it. but but greatest of all time, it's got my vote. I'm not a hater here by any means, right. but ever since, like, for a really just funny yet, uh, you know, legitimate uh, example and maybe more down to earth and more grasp tangible example. Uh, I just have certain writing pet peeves that I've always had before uh, mm-hmm. being a person who quote unquote, you know, writes as a part of his job. And believe me, I, I think I'm a shitty writer. I'm not even saying that in, in, a, in, a, in an uplifting way, but I'm just, just for context here, even from way back to remember a movie, I think 2000 Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, like they do the whole setup for fucking the whole irony setup where he uh, does a good deed, is mistreated, and takes it personal. So when he has a chance to do, do a good deed of stopping the robber, he doesn't, right? And ironically, mm-hmm. that robber kills his uncle Ben. But right. if you look, he doesn't. Peter Parker doesn't ever see that that happened. Like he, he stumbles upon his uncle Ben, but doesn't see it was the same guy. Now he chases right. the person who chases Uncle Ben because out of vengeance, right? But mm-hmm. not because he knew it was the same guy. And when yeah. he finally catches up to him, it's in, you know, a, a darker room that's darker than the Battle of fucking Winterfell. And the guy's like, <laughs> the guy thinks he's gotten away at this point. He doesn't even know anybody's fucking chasing him. He's like, is someone there? I hear something. And then all of a sudden, you know, Spider-Man Peter Parker pushes him anticlimactically, getting his one of like, what is it, his first and only kill 
of the whole fucking series, which is supposed to be a lesson learning kill, granted. And the guy like didn't even know what hit him. He he was like probably like he probably thought he got mugged by a homeless person. Like you yeah. know, you, you just just have a scene where he grabs him, puts his face in the light, and then you get the irony. The guy goes, "Oh my god, I'm getting killed by right. this guy," and then Peter Parker gets the lesson even harder and you see the le- anyway it just pissed me off like little things like that pissed me off I'm like why didn't you why did you set that no, up sure and not They're, fucking tie it off that was no you're pointless. you're you're right on they did they did that a ton the other thing that pissed me off was just their lack of like common sense type things where they like they had to be sitting around like diagram like storyboarding right you know right. when they're when, when you're when you're in a writing room i don't know how many of you guys have ever yes. written professionally uh i have friends that that do this for a living so they've kind of explained the storyboard process to me you know you're in a room you're storyboarding you've got this is what happens here this is what it's going to kind of look like roughly then this happens in our next scene blah 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 so they did this so many times where they just have no explanation for like during the battle of winterfell like you said they show literally all the dothraki run out as their first charge right every single one of them and daenerys is watching from up on the hill and the flames go out one by one is that a cool shot fuck yeah that's an awesome shot dude and then, like, maybe six Dothraki come back in Jorah, and you're like, oh, they just wiped out that entire force. The next episode, they're like, yep, we lost half our forces. Yep. What? You just showed me that every one of them died, and now you're saying you still have half of them? And, like, they did that for all of them. The way they the, – what the, what the language of the film told us was that – they were depleted to the point of like having a couple hundred men left down from like 30,000. Right. Yep, yep. That's, that's what, that's what that battle showed us that it, they took catastrophic casualties. The unsullied too. They even showed the, yeah. sorry, sorry to interrupt. They even show a scene where the unsullied, like they look at the door closing they look at the battlefield and they yeah, choose the battlefield. Right. Like, Oh, they're sacrificing themselves. Well, that's exactly. a fitting, that's a fitting end to the unsullied. Right. Okay. Gray Worm sacrifices most of his men to keep the rest of them safe. And that's like a huge character building moment. It's like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, the, those guys are all dead. But then, yeah, the next episode, they're like, nope, we still have, you know, 15,000 men. And you're like, what? That battle led me to believe that you had like 250 max. <laughs> like, so it's just little stuff like that, dude. And then like the Euron sneak attack for the 17th time. It's just, it's so stupid, man. Yeah. Like they, they had they just should have had someone as like a common sense consultant. Be like, hey, I don't think that. Uh, someone could be snuck up on if they're a mile above sea level. Yes. Like they could probably see the boats first, and they probably couldn't shoot an arrow around a mountain and uh, yeah, go totally. three for three. And, and, I don't know. And they they completely ignore it in the next. Like okay, two can't take away, uh, can't take out a, a fleet, but one can take out a fleet, uh, <laughs> a so castle sad. lined with those same scorpions. And I hate again another reason why I hate trailers, folks. Not just because like for example, uh, if you were you know if you watched the trailers for Star Wars Episode Two, you would have been. It sounds really stupid, but it's actually a really good example you you, you you know you would have been revealed that Yoda you know does a lightsaber fight scene which yeah. if you walked in that scene fucking blows your hair back it's the last thing you yeah. fucking expect in the world if you went into that movie not not seeing that trailer and they do and maybe maybe it's you know maybe not everybody's a World War II nut like I am but they gave away too much in the Game of Thrones trailer for after that like how the, how they were, how the dragon was going to win the battle because they show Euron looking into the light blinded and I'm like oh that's the old <laughs> you know dog trick from a World yep. War two dogfight trick yeah you come in with the sun and uh that aside they didn't really even execute it that well although they made it very predictable with the trailer and kind of ignore all rules and 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 back to the army thing don't worry folks this isn't going to extend too long we will have a time stamp in the show notes but uh it might i know but back to your point the common sense thing not only within season because of course what you're leading to jordan is kind of all shit upon when you have the final, which I granted is one of the best visuals. Everybody can't stop talking about the dragon wing shot, which let's be honest. I'm surprised they didn't do that earlier. I'm not shitting on it. It was great. 
And then after that, she looks upon her army, and I get it. You want the Hitler effect. You want the, the dragon is here. You did yeah. that beautifully. But man, did they shit on the numbers because now the all the numbers are, are, are repleted to where, again, I'm, I'm in mid-rewatch right now, so I'm in like season four, uh, mm-hmm. end of season three, the end of season three. You see her just acquire from Astapor all the uh, all the unsullied, uh, mm-hmm. all the unsullied, and they're all lined up with her full force army, and it looks just as big as that last yeah, shot. And I'm like, how is this math at all adding up? And one more thing about the writers' room, like, yeah, every time stuff like this would come up in this last season, I just pictured David Benoff in the writers' room with like a bunch of sheets in front of him, but all the sheets are different haircut ideas, and the one Game yeah. of Thrones sheet <laughs> is he's folding up into a paper airplane as he's leaning back in his seat. He's got his feet up on the chair, and he's just kind of doing that slow aim, you know, with with the yeah. paper airplane. And he's like, ah, and he th- releases it and goes, and then he tunes back into the sentence that he was tuning out, and he goes, yeah, that sounds good. Go with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that, is that the visual? That is that an that's app amazing. visual for that last that's season? A, that's, that's, that's pretty much on point. Uh, I have one one quick gripe. Please, is that no, okay? Can no, I do no, one, no, one no, last please, quick please, gripe? Please, yes. Uh, this is so fucking minor and petty, but it made me scream out loud and have to pause the show so I could yell. And my wife was like, just fucking watch the show. Shut up. <laughs> but but at the end of the end of the episode, right? I just picked Sam, off my notes because of that. Sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. No, no, you're, you're good. <laughs> No, Sam. Sam. Uh, Sam comes in. He's like, "Oh, here's this book called A Song of Ice and Fire." Mm. Maester, right? So he sets it down, and then Tyrion. You know, he's like, "Oh, well, I wonder what. I hope they didn't write too much about me." He's like, "Oh, they didn't write about you. What? He was the hand of the king. Yeah. He murdered his father, who was hand of the king. He was then the hand of the invading queen. How do you not mention that guy once in the book? That's a shitty book, and it, that's a terrible. really bad Maester. Black Battle of Blackwater. And again, I just watched yeah. season two." <laughs> And three and before that scene happens the reason they even built to it uh which by the way i feel like the nostalgia before he found the bodies was was more important when it was in ruin because you're back to that scene and he's revisiting when he was handed the king because season two and three was so important so well written anyways yeah. but then they kind of redo the nostalgia part like why are you redoing the nostalgia scene of him like petting the same chairs that he was just petting like the scene before okay i know and so they redundant that to double setup, which double shits on the point you just made. Like you just set up his importance like twice in case we fucking forgot. And then you're going to ruin that with again the breaking the self, the third wall, uh, wearing the band T-shirt you're going to see to the actual concert. Like whatever rule you want to <laughs> equate that to, they fucking did it. Oh my god, do I hate that shit? I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey, look, it says Godsmack. We're going to see Godsmack. Yeah, like that's what they did right there. Like that's that was essentially. And then like the uh, the, uh, you know, the, the oh, it makes sense that Braun is the character that should be uh, the king because I'm like, no, it doesn't. He doesn't have a, He doesn't have a great story. When when does and I, I get the reason why we love Game of Thrones. This is kind of tying into it, guys. We're tying into the end talk here with the end. It should be the end of this conversation <laughs> on it. But the reason why I love Game of Thrones is, yes, I'm a contrarian. And the, 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 the good things happen to the bad guys and the bad things happen to the good guys which is the problem i think a lot of people like myself had with the writing because it felt very disnified but then mm-hmm. they choose to be contrarian in the weirdest ways like of course uh, a fucking sorcerer type character becomes king because that's a fucking archetype that makes sense and has been done before uh and then he then what is the first thing he says oh i need a master master of whisperers and then how about Bronn? Bronn, by the way low-key Bronn's my favorite character because yeah. um, i'm just weird like that and Bronn is just a character no, that Bronn's great quietly got better right he also said the best lines and they built this great device where they're tying back in and there's a bunch of quotes that tie in like, oh, Bronn's going to probably kill at least one of these motherfuckers, right? Yeah. Like he's holding – like an episode before, he's holding a crossbow to both Jamie, Lannis- Jamie and, and, and Tyrion, right? Mm. 
And you're like, oh, what's going to happen when the war shakes out? And all of a sudden, all's fucking forgiven, and he's master of coin. Like, the guy's yeah, barely dude. legible. He's the most untrustworthy dude. Yeah, he spent seven seasons being a cutthroat sellsword, and now he's, like, the fourth most powerful person in oh, Westeros. And what was he doing when he wasn't cutting throats for money? He was spending all the money on hookers. Yeah. Like, that yeah, was his role. Dr- drunk and banging chicks all the time banging hookers yeah man like they yeah. might as well like you know they, they might as well just made davos the night king and then he would have redone the throne that, that instead of steel it would have been all the unsullied dicks from astropor like that's how i would have ended the series <laughs> davos is the night right right am i right yeah. anyways you're right i think yeah yeah in closing i think the the uh, if if the people of king's landing can go back they would have rooted for stannis to win the uh battle of blackwater a throne of a thousand unsullied cocks <laughs> that's, a, that's a decent Davos. <laughs> Davos looks like John Reno, by the way. <laughs> he does look He's... a little bit like John Reno. Yeah, he does. Like a little bit shorter, uh, less French version of John Reno. <laughs> less French. Yeah, and by the way, just real quick, I just here's how I thought it was going to end because I actually thought Davos was going to be the hand to uh, Gendry. Uh, because it, it, season three, there's like an episode, the witch tells Gendry, you're going to make kings rise and fall. And then yep. the same episode tells uh, Arya, you're going to put uh, t- uh, eyes to sleep forever, brown, which was, I guess, was Littlefinger, blue, the Night King, and green, which I thought was going to be Daenerys. So mm-hmm. the scene where Daenerys, spoiler alert, which obviously this far, uh, gets killed by Jon Snow, I thought right before that, I thought his pledge was going to – it was going to be a scenario like that and he was going to turn to her side. Arya was going to have to kill and it was going to put them in a weird scenario where Gendry was going to have to come and kill Jon Snow. And I felt that would have been a very – See, Dan, uh, that would have made sense because Game that was Thrones taken from the from the book. So it made sense, the the whole scene with Melisandre and Gendry and stuff. So that – And even Davos letting out Gendry because he was the one that saved him and they had that conversation where they were literally comparing. They were drawing straws on who came from a worse part of King's Landing and and – and a sewer spilling out by Davos' Three door. Bottom. Like, like, how perfect would that have been? The, 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 literally the two most lowest born guys being at get the your, end. Get your good hey, ideas anyways. out of here, right? Any, I know, anyways. but And that's why, again, that's why I love... And I, it's, it's still a fun rewatch. I'm not shitting on the show, but that's why I love rewatching it. Because the beginning of the show reminds you that, oh, yeah... The, it was it was fucking really good writing. Um, you know, they were catching you off guard in the best of ways. And anyways, that's that's my opinion there. Sorry, folks, for, for sitting through that. Any, anything else to add, Jordan, before we push on to our top five here? Uh, n- nothing that won't take another 30 minutes of talking about Game of Thrones. All right. Well, on that beat, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to knock out our top five finishes you probably forgot about right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. And we're back right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast for the top five fu- finishes you probably forgot about. Man, sorry. It's been a while since I've had to roll to commercial again with all these breakdown episodes and I'm in a rush to get them out. I'm trying to shorten up the ranting after said Game of Thrones rant. Uh, there hasn't really been need to take a break, but uh, I figured it was a clean part to take a break, though I'm going to ruin that right now, Jordan. We are going to go to the top five. This will not lead into a rant, folks, but I had to, I had to do a, a bit of a kind of funny, maybe maybe five. I haven't shared this with Jordan. Of all people, I share stories with uh, a Game of Thrones story. It doesn't have to do with the episodes or anything like that. We're not going to be talking about that, but uh, I used to work... Uh, 
in uh, mid Midtown Manhattan at a Whole Foods there back in 2012, 2013. So again, this is about when like season three came about. And uh, I was away from the gym, so I wasn't teaching, I wasn't competing, I, was, I had a bunch of time on my hands when I wasn't working, right? Hence, like I said, that's why I didn't get into Game of Thrones till about season three. And uh, I caught up right about the time of the Red Wedding and all that stuff, and at the end of that Ooh. season um, is when, uh, you know, is the, the last episode's called Misha, right? And the mm-hmm. mother, mother, and uh, apparently, uh, little, not Littlefinger, uh, Tyrion Lannister, him and his family would come in. I never saw them, by the way, but they had a, they, one of his houses was in Midtown for a time. The but, Dinkles. But yeah, Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, uh, but who would come in was Amelia Clark. And uh, and I always missed her. And this girl that I work with, Valentina, would always give me shit. And she's like, you missed her. You missed her again. Khaleesi was here. And she would always give me shit. And I'm like, oh, sorry. And I'm just so, like, in the zone I would work, especially. I would just I would cover my time clock. I would just kind of get in a, this weird rhythm and just be like a robot. Like, I was very polite. I was good with customer service. But I would just try to push people through my line as fast as possible. And I really wasn't, like, really paying as much attention as I probably should have been. And uh, two girls kind of go through my line, and Valentina's trying to signal me. And I'm, like, I'm trying to, like, ignore her and just trying to finish, get through the transaction as fast as possible. And I, I ignore her, and I, I, and I finish the transaction, and she comes and runs by my register. She's like, you didn't see? I'm like, what? She's like, I was saying mother. I'm like, what's mother? Because <laughs> the episode just came out. I'm yeah. like, mother. Yeah. Khaleesi. What? what? What about her? Amelia Clark. Oh, she was here. She was in your lot. Li- she she was in front of you. You didn't because again, she has got brown hair in real life. Uh, that's right. not her, her real blonde hair. And uh, yeah, I'm just stupid. So that that's not even really a name dropping brag. It's just I'm I'm dumb. Uh, fucking Khaleesi yourself can be in front of me, and I won't fucking notice <laughs> if I'm busy. Blew, blew your shot, dude. Uh, yeah, dude. I, what what could have been, bro? I'm really bad with celebrity celebrities. I'm just, oh, who's that? What? Huh? Like I, I, I I'm I'm the worst. She's uh she's teeny. I I I have never met her, but I saw her once, like uh from like across state room, and like she you know had a bunch of people with her. She's Were she's teeny. A trench coat, Jordan. Maybe. I mean, I might have been hiding. It, maybe it was me in a trench coat. Maybe it was two kids stacked on top of each other in a trench coat. You'll never know. Jesus. Will these guys stop talking about Game of Thrones? All right, guys, we're getting to it. <laughs> top five. Top five fights finishes you probably forgot about. Now this. This is an interesting topic. Again, I gave a little bit of peek behind the curtain. Um, we've been talking about this one. This one's been on the table among the pool of pool of uh, topics, and this is a more of a broader one. So, me and Jordan were talking like the honorable mentions. We've had a few topics like this, but especially for this one, the honorable mentions may be the most fun. Um, I had a hard time making a top five, but as far as an order, I guess I had a hard time in the sense of. This one was hard for me to order. Uh, Jordan, I guess I want to get your thoughts on that, but I also kind of want you to set this topic up because it was your idea. Uh, what made you come, uh, you know, uh, come up with it and kind of uh, what's, your, what's your take on the topic, I guess, before we start diving into our lists? Yes, what made me think about it is basically every time you and I talk or get together and, and chat about fights is like uh, I think we always spark stuff in each other's mind. Like, remember that? I'm like, oh yeah, I do remember that. Like, I had kind of forgotten about it to where it was like uh, maybe a big deal at the time, or you thought really highly of it at the time. But you know, MMA and uh, like I guess the world and pop culture in general is the type of thing that moves so fast that your brain can only keep so many things fresh in your mind, and that you 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 need this type of stuff and these type of interactions to 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 remind you yourself that that these things happen and i think that was the whole idea for this like 
Yeah, this was this may be a finish that at the time was the, the all the news people would talk about. You know, it, it was it was the the best thing that they had seen or like the number one thing of that year even. You know, but as time goes on, you start to forget these things. And yeah, you'll see them in like a compilation, like you know, best whatevers of all time, and that it goes in there. And you're like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. That was crazy. Or even if it's something less spectacular than that, it was just something that was really impressive that doesn't get the recognition it deserves. So I think there are a couple ways you could look at it. Uh, but I. I I guess for me, the the I, I looked at it kind of both ways, things that were great that don't get talked about enough or things that are great and get recognized but aren't maybe given enough of recognition as they deserve, like things that are almost underrated in a sense that you forget to mention as like, this is amazing. You guys should be calling this amazing for what it is. So that's kind of my take on it. Me too. Yeah, I, I had a couple of those that were definitely that. And I kind of felt sometimes it'll be tough because I'm like, okay, is this an underrated fight with an underrated fighter that I want to shout out? Um, right. Because, again, finishes in the title, so that obviously had to be a tie-in to whatever we selected. Um, although mm-hmm. I do encourage rule bending. It's not like there's hard and fast rules here. But <laughs> I'm just you worry. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, yeah, but I'm just saying like, there are certain things. And there are other things where it's like you could be literally forgot about. So, like, I, there is one where I do reach pretty far back, but I really tried not to do that too much, Jordan, because I tried to stay honest with, I mean, for, for what, you know, uh, for what – the audience and for what more importantly me uh, w- would consider forget about because if yeah. I wasn't around during those times, uh, cause again, I didn't become, I was aware of the sport in the late nineties, but I didn't start like actually consistently watching and knowing who you were talking about and this guy and that guy till about 2005 and people yeah. listen to this podcast, maybe even shorter than that. You'd be surprised. And there's no shame in that at all. So no. I don't, you know, so I try not to reach too far back in that regard. Same here. But there are some that kind of fit under and I'm a big history fan mm-hmm. and uh, historical context on maybe you didn't maybe you didn't forget about it because you were watching around that time and you forgot about it. Okay, maybe that's not in play here, but it's one with maybe you know famous fighters and it was a really you know a, 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 one of those finishes. Not just cool, but like oh, there's a lot of lessons and a lot of history yeah. attached to this that people you know we still see these problems here, but no one ever references with the first one. We actually first saw it here, so you, there may be a couple of those on my list too. Yeah. But there's well, a- I, I, I think – sorry to cut you off, but I think that I think that, that kind of fits the mold of what – that's the sense of what we were talking about originally when we kicked this idea around. I think the, the – we, we named it this. You, you, you came up with this name, which I think is really good because it kind of – it has a better ring to it. But I think the idea was maybe underrated or you forgot about or things that should be highlighted more. Like I think all those things can kind of be encompassed in this category. Yes, absolutely. Um in fact, um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah, like, usually, you know what, I, 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 I'll go ahead, since you came up with the topic, I'll go ahead and kick, usually I let the guests kick it off, but we'll, we'll do a Chinese fire drill midway through, because this, this ties in what I'm about to say, like, my number five, for example, when, we, when you first brought this topic up, there was one that immediately popped into my head, and I almost feel like it's a crime, and you've done enough of these lists, Jordan, I almost feel like it's a crime when you don't include those, the ones that immediately uh-huh. end up popping in your head, but sometimes they don't translate well. Uh, right. And this one actually translated well, although you could argue maybe it's the least strongest choice. So, um, I, I tried to abuse this too much. So I actually did a two way tie for my number five. <laughs> um, and, uh, another one, well, I didn't think I was going to have it on. I tried to, cause there was another thing like there, there was stuff that fit this category totally Jordan in the context we just said, but since this is my podcast and I've been doing it for a minute, 
I'll reference some of these fights a lot. So I'm like, <laughs> did we really forget about it? Because people listen to this episode means they're probably listening to me. And I always say it. So did I forget about it? Did they forget? It? And, you know, I would kind of, if that makes sense, I would <laughs> yeah. kind of cancel it out. And in one, you know, fight card in particular that I referenced all too much, uh, I definitely thought I was going to leave out because it has so many that I figured maybe some will be on yours. So I'm going to be careful how I describe that card because I don't want to burn any. But when yeah. I was watching it, it literally gave me the the out loud moment like, holy shit, I forgot about this. I forgot that they fought. And I'm like, <laughs> I have to see how this fight ended, especially when you see the result and the time uh, stamp of it. And I'm like, this is on a fight card that I reference all the time, which is, of course, UFC Fight Night 13. And mm. that was James Irvin versus Houston Alexander, yeah, the first dude. fight of the night. You remember this one? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. This is a crazy one. And Houston Alexander, like, he was the first of, like, the Greg Hardy type, like Dana White, like, we got a, a muscular black guy who knocks guys out. He's going to be yeah. the – like, you know that, that hype train? Like, he came out and got kind of, like, two and somewhat fluky in certain senses and in kind of crazy fights, right? Um, stoppages. And there was this big hype on Houston Alexander. Like, this was when light heavyweight, too, was, like, the stable, right? Like, yeah. and Houston Alexander. And he actually lost to Thiago Silva, who was a straight killer, right? And yeah. uh, he was coming off that, that TKO loss. But he was like, you know, I had I blew out my knee. I wasn't healthy. It was short notice. I'm like, okay, whatever. Comes into this fight, you know, it's just it's just slated to bang. Uh, James Irvin was kind of on a, on a rough streak. They brought him back after a rough year. And essentially, they just touch gloves, look at each other for a second. And as Houston Alexander comes in, James Irvin just does an in-the-air kind of a Superman punch. You know, he does the knee in the air <laughs> yep. like he's going up for a jump shot to get his leverage going. Uh, it's totally obvious. And then just hits him with it off balance. And then follow-up shot knocks him out. But it's one of those that he gets knocked out. But then, then he, he wakes right back up. So the crowd... Is pissed off, and I don't know, Jordan. Like we're watching some of these older fights. Like we still have that. I wasn't stopped. I was fine. Right. Like, we're, we're always oh, yeah. going to have that. But it felt like we had a mu- much more of it back then, and All much the more ugly versions of it. You know, he was like, "I didn't get stopped. Nebraska's still in the house." <laughs> and James Irvin actually he always t- repped Nebraska yes. to the fullest. I forgot about that. And no, that was a great part because again, the hype before the fight goes down, you don't just have the production hype job, but you cut to the audience, and they're in they're in Denver. This is the first time that they're in Denver since 1995, and they keep cutting to like signs on the wall in the arena that says like "strenuous exercise is not uh, advised. <laughs> you are currently at so and so elevation. Yeah. Please stay hydrated." <laughs> And uh, it shows the crowd, and there's actually like a, a big Nebraska cheering section, and they have cardboard cutouts of fucking Houston Alexander. Like I remember, they people used to bring those to the fights. Like, mm-hmm. and there was a whole section, so it, it was perfect for what was about to happen. Like, it was so good. And he ties, and James Irvin ties uh, for the eight seconds for the fastest eight seconds, knockout right? of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to kick off what was uh, in, in, you know, obviously I say it all the time. One of the most insane uh, fight cards. I'm not going to even dare say any of the finishes in case they they pop up. Um, and uh, real quick, sorry, uh, the, just the first one. There's not much to say about this one, and I doubt it's going to be on your list, so that's one uh, I didn't feel bad about attaching it here. Uh, the first one, Jordan, that I, I hinted at was Evan Dunham versus Efrain Escudero at UFC Ooh. Fight Night 20. Um, and I also felt bad because this could also come up like if I did a top five armbar list. Like it was Evan Dunham. It was only his third fight, but this is what really got his hype going, and this was the first time he did a training camp. Part of his camp at Extreme Couture, though, he was still fighting at Oregon. And then after that, he really got that push. He had to fight, excuse me, Extreme Couture teammate Tyson Griffin in what was a fight of the night. Yeah. But this, Escudero was actually getting all the hype. Dunham was almost a three to one underdog. Like, because remember, Ultimate Fighters back then, we, we, they, we forget how much they used to value them. Remember how much yeah. they used to value and protect those guys? Like, you mm-hmm. were like, oh, this guy's going to be on the, the fast track. 
And people apparently thought that with the betting lines, and uh, which is kind of funny in hindsight, you right? Um, and uh, and yeah, Evan Dunham he goes for a back mount, and then he hops over to like a judo style like armbar. Then he goes triangle, and then triangle armbar, and then he doesn't tap to that. Then he goes keeps the triangle, goes Russian armbar. Uh, Efrain's still not tapping. Then he releases the triangle, goes cross leg grip, and then pushes uses both of his hands to uh, adjust the wrist because Efrain tries to roll and he puts on I think the what's now number four armbar or number four submission hold. Yeah. Uh, then Efrain still doesn't submit, so then he re Russian locks the armbar, sits deep, and pops Efrain's arm. So that was just like a sick finish that just always just one of those you forget about. Even I know Dunham's probably one of the more recognizable names that'll maybe be on my list, but. Uh, but yes, sorry about that long-winded tie-in for for number five. No, that's a good one, man. I, I totally forgot about that fight, um, and I just had to look something up too because uh, I, I remembered that was right after Escudero came off Ultimate Fighter, and I, I I was like, that was pretty early in his career. He was eleven and zero at that point. In yep. the in the next seven or eight years since, he's thirty and fifteen now. He's fought so much since then. That's Insane. crazy, dude. Yeah, I had to yeah, keep Dun- Dunham like- was nine and zero at the time. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, I had to keep scrolling to get down to this fight because I went through Escadine's page, uh, Farine's page. Wow. Like, wow, he's fought a lot. But yeah, it was, and, and Dunham just looks so baby faced. And, uh, you know, and again, like, I, I know Evan, and he's got a, fa- and he's, he, 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 he uh, sprouted a family, uh, you know, for, for, for lack of a better term, uh, toward the end of his career, and all the other things that go with getting older and being in the wars that he was mm-hmm. in. It, makes sense there's no uh, no criticism or anything at all in this statement but you go back and you look at these guys when they were young not just being fresh-faced but especially a guy like as nice as evan like there was kind of like a mean streak to him and a competitiveness and an edge and you see that with a lot of these guys man when you're young you are full of it man i, I you know the, yeah that that stereotype never gets old anyways that's wild and that's that's a really good one because i did not uh that, that didn't even come close to registering making my list so um that's a good one uh my number five i didn't have to go back too far for and it's one that people probably it's not going to be like one of those i totally forgot about that it's going to be one of those like i think it doesn't get the appreciation that it deserves for how technical and beautiful it is because this is this is a violent sport there's no two ways around it uh but i think th- if you're someone who appreciates martial arts you can find the beauty in in this and i think you are that kind of person dan uh so so my number five came at Fight Night 70 back in 2015. And that's when Tiago Santos knocked out Steve Bossy with a head kick. Oh. Um, it's it, it's probably – I think if you were showing people how to set up a high kick, this is the video you would show them, right? Because he he hits Bossy – it's 30 seconds into the fight, so it's not like it, it took a long time. He hits Bossy with three really hard uh, kicks to the liver really really hard body kicks right and so then he faints once and bo- he sees bossy bring his arms to his chest to block the body kick and he's like all right and then he throws the head kick and it just perfectly connects to the do- it's shin to forehead it's the most technical knockout you can find and i think still when i see head kicks there you know head kicks can uh he- head kicks can sometimes they just clip you and they drop you or sometimes they they land flush and and it's it's a it's kind of a a work of art almost and this is one of those that it's it's, it's picturesque, man. It, it seems almost like it's a, a, a movie that choreographed it, and it's uh, it, it's still one of the most impressive uh, displays of being able to set up something that you're trying to do and executing that perfectly. I, I feel like his coaches were probably like, that is exactly what we wanted to happen. 
Totally, man. I'll be honest. I don't think I can ever forget this kick <laughs> because it's just, you know, the whole bossa and playing the flute. Like there yeah. are certain yeah. gifts and I don't want to say this other one because in case it does come up on the list, but uh, that it finishes like a gift and the internet makes it like even that much more <laughs> mortal. But to your point, I can't remember who's it probably was a. I want to say maybe it was that that Jordan kid actually. I want Charles yeah. Jordan. When I was doing my old Instagram social media studies on these fighters, uh, I saw a Canadian fighter with Steve Bosse in the picture, like kind of coaching him. And I was like, oh, Steve Bosse, I forgot about that dude. So yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, Tiago Santos has kind of created even a plethora more of highlight reels since then. So right, this I, was kind of the start of start of his uh, string of really impressive fights. Because before that, I, I think this is probably his second or third fight in the UFC. I'd have to look it up, but but uh, it, it was definitely the first string of things that made you go whoa. Well, because yeah, people forget. You're right. People weren't t- taking him seriously back then because not, not really. his most his highlight of his first like three or four fights, I want to say, was him losing to losing a decision to Uriah. Hall, who had a mm-hmm. bone popping out of his toe for two rounds. <laughs> yeah. So, like when I, you know, when I was doing like, you know, not as hardcore study when I, before the mixed martial arts days, when I was still doing it on paper, when I would come to Tiago Santos fight, like, I couldn't get that out of my head. I'm like, dude, this guy couldn't even beat a fucking, you know, guy with a bone hanging out of his foot. One foot, Uriah Hall. Yeah, I know. And, and but you're right. And then after that knockout, people started taking him seriously. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, he beat like uh, it was his. Yeah. Yeah. Because he beat. Uh, Caesar Fajeda, and then he or he lost to Caesar Fajeda. Sorry, and then he beat Hani Marcus, a guy who didn't last in the UFC very long, and then lost to Hall, and that's kind of what people knew knew him from. And then that big uh, knockout of Bossy got him a bigger fight, and then from there he's kind of you know propelled his career quite a bit. Definitely, definitely. Um, all right, man. Let's let's go to number four. Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll st- we'll stick with the order. Maybe we'll change it next round. But okay, uh, number four for me, man. I I gotta thank you for this one because this list finally made me like hunt certain things out and I've always reached for this fight but I never had any real strings to reach for so I'd always have to find something else and I would reach for this fight whenever, whenever somebody was talking about elbow KOs or whenever mm. someone was referencing lightweight uh, fighters uh, just deadening each other um, and it, it never got mentioned and I couldn't find it and I can't remember what keywords that I fucking would typed in after a long search to eventually find it. It makes sense because both these fighters, even to hardcores, these names probably won't jump out at you right away. But this was Nick Denis versus Joseph Sandoval at UFC oh! FX1. You remember this fight? Yes, and, I remember. Yeah. And this was just for context. This is before uh, – this is mid-2012, so I believe this is before the flyweights are introduced – and which also means, I believe, this is before women are fighting in the UFC, correct? Mm, so yeah. men's bantamweight was not only the lightest, but again, remembering the stereotype, putting the stereotype back where you were at that time space, like we just did with Tiago Santos, right? Do the same thing here, guys. And even though bantamweight was well-respected because hardcores were already aware of the WEC that came and passed by this time, right? Uh, yeah. But even that, even us as hardcores who, lo- who loved and were aware of the bantamweight division, we we still weren't too far from you know the Mike Goldberg explanation of it of hey these guys are technical everywhere they go nonstop and they don't slow down for three rounds right and not in a negative but that was kind of the the bland uh, that was kind of the stereotype right 
So to see a deadening stoppage was just insane. And again, much less by elbows. And much less, again, we don't see many standing elbow stoppages in any weight classes, right? Yeah. Like those are really rare knockouts. So if I do top five elbow KOs, this will definitely come back on the list, unabashedly so. But Nick Denis from from, from Canada, by the way, uh, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> shout out to, to Brad from the MMA analysis. I bet you Nick Denis is going to be a name that makes him pop. But a Nick Denis from Canada <laughs> – uh, comes out and he starts hitting. Uh, he starts hitting Joseph Sandoval with right hands, like from right off the bat. And Joseph Sandoval is still kind of like crashing the distance because he's 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 getting hit. He's panicking. He's not sure what he wants to do. He wants to stay aggressive. So Nick Denis actually starts turning over his punches as he's coming in close and turning him into elbows mid range. Yeah. He starts hitting a mid range and you. It, you slowly see it coming. Like it starts off, he's hitting him from fully extended right hands. Then it's short right hands. Then it's then it's uh, elbows, full range elbows, and then it's short clenching elbows till he hits like two or three and just knocks him dead stiff in the air and he just falls back. It was so, like within thirty seconds, it was insane. Joseph Sandoval was the, and I remember this fight vividly because he had crazy hair, right? He looked yes. like he looked like uh, Miguel Torres and Dan Hardy had a baby. Yeah, maybe we mixed a little bit of Leonard Garcia there, but yeah. Yeah, a little too, Leonard yes. Garcia. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. it was like red and black mohawk or something like that. And one thing I didn't realize, I, I got to look up who the ref was for this. But it was a weird name. Uh, and I'm I'm good about remembering weird refs, but this guy I've never seen before. He looked like he looked like he he was one of your, like your dad's golf friends who was like out of sh- clearly out of shape and over the hill, but would just wear really nice polos, really loud ju- jewelry and chains and watches, and put a lot into his hair. And that was just it didn't match his body type or his age at all. Like he looked like that guy with a refereeing suit on, and he was just like really creepy. Like I just remember him doing like he's like, "You ready? You ready?" Back to, he sounded like Dusty Rose. That's the no. He sounded like Dusty Rose. He goes, he goes, back to your conas. Like, that's how he finished it. Like, go rewatch it. I can't, everything he said was weird and sounded like Dusty Rose. But at the end, I just definitely remember he goes, and he, he even like does a weird wrist twang and he looks off to the side, up into the air, and he goes, back to your conas. And I'm like, what the Man. fuck was that about? That is amazing. I'm trying to find, uh, his name here. I, I don't think I see it. I, I'm, I was looking on like everything I could find because I'm very interested in this because I do okay. not remember. I can kill a little bit more time for you real quick. But by, uh, by the way, speaking of uh, weird, weird refs, uh, one of my favorite weird refs from that, that Ultimate Fight Night card in Denver was uh, – mm-hmm. fuck, what's his name? He looks like Jim Norton. And I just posted oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. something of him recently where like he's – I'm like, oh, he's come a long way because I think it was the uh, Erie Alcantara versus uh, Sanhagen fight or whatever. But he goes like, yeah. you ready to rock? You ready to row? Like, and he's like, you can tell he's trying to be cool, but he's so awkward. And then you go back yeah. to that UFC Fight Night 13 card back in like 2008. Like, uh, you know when they goes and our referee Tim uh, Tim Mills, our referee Tim Mills, Tim Mills. and they, they give the referee the graphic, and that's where you know Yamasaki will do his heart, heart. or yeah. or whatever. Like Tim Mills was such a nervous wreck. Like he has his eyes wide open. He's such a nervous wreck. Like when Buffer goes <laughs> Tim Mills, he raises his hand like here, I'm here, I'm here. Like it was so, it's so it's so funny. Oh, and by the way, that's right before the Anthony Johnson versus Tommy Spear fight. So it's like he oh, had ever Jesus Christ, he, 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 they'd appeal him off the fence. <laughs> like. If he was freaking out before the fight started, how did Tim Mills feel when he was an accomplice to murder? Yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> like, why did they sanction this? Sorry. Blow the whistle. No, but uh, oh, uh, fun fact about that that card that was the uh, the debut of uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. Yeah, uh, the FX fought, one. Oh yeah, yeah. You'll see FX one. That, that one. Yeah. 
That yeah. is right, sir. I remember uh, thinking, I remember watching that, and uh, Kamal Shalarus, I mean, he was never going to be a world beater, but he looked pretty good up to that point. I think his only loss was to Jim Miller. Oh, yeah, totally. And, and Habib fucking threw him around. I was Jesus. like, damn, this dude's good. Uh, but yeah, that's right. no, that's a, that's a good, that's a good pick, dude. That's a really good pick. Right. Um, thank you, man. I wouldn't have fucking finally went to go find that if it wasn't for this list. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. My number four is one of the other ones that I thought about instantly when we talk about this one, this topic. And it was, uh, it's, it's an old one, man. It's from the tough 12, uh, finale. Ooh. And it's, it's, uh, it's, this guy has two of them that I think could make the list. The other one, I think I'm going to save for uh, honorable mention, but it's a, it's a flying knee KO and it's one of the best timed ones i've ever seen and it's also probably the grossest sounding one outside of that knee that wasn't flying but the knee that uh that overeem landed on fujita oh like outside that this is probably the the nastiest sounding, sounding. Knee I've ever. wow yeah yeah and it's pablo garza knocking out fredson pakshaw holy with a, with a shit holy i remember this one that was brutal oh it was bad man it was it sounded like uh somebody like took a took a, a two by four and hit a side of beef with it it was gross uh because Pasha goes in for a takedown and like i don't know if he meant to do it because it's all it almost seems too instantaneous it seems like it probably was just more of a coincidence that he threw this flying knee because he had a huge height advantage right and so anytime he would duck he was probably trying to throw that big knee and it just happened to be right when fredson goes down for a takedown and man the his knee hit right on the bridge of his nose and he's just instantly out and then he landed like a a pretty big follow-up hammer fist too that uh the ref just didn't get in there in time but uh i i think if you guys want to you can find it on youtube or you know the ufc.com showed it i don't know how this doesn't show up more on like highlight reels because it's 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 one of the best time flying knees you'll ever see and it sounds bad and it's it's you know classic goldberg and and rogan because this is like uh, what year was that in 2010? So you're, you're, this is like prime Goldberg Rogan oh, territory. Yeah, yeah. So you get, you get a real good reaction out of them too, but man, uh, huge knockout and a really, really, really good one that if, if you're not familiar with it or if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it. It's, it's as brutal as you remember. Dude, I, I totally forgot about that fight. And the only time I really have seen this was when I'm like, Again, I'm usually not having to go back this far to find people that are on par- Pablo Garza's uh, hit li- kill list. But mm-hmm. like, whenever I see like the Mark Hominicks or the yeah. certain people of the world, I'm like, why did Pablo Garza get a matchup with that good of a dude? And then you look back, you click on Pablo Garza's record, and that win gave him a lot of uh, a lot of faith from the matchmakers. They put him in a lot of good matchups after that. They do. You know, he actually he reti- he hasn't fought since 2013, but uh, doesn't have a bad record. He has four losses and they're all two pretty decent opponents. Uh, he got beat by uh, Taekwon Zhang, uh, the pretty good wrestler guy in, in the WEC, right. and then lost a uh, got subbed by Poirier. He got beat uh, by Bermudez by decision and lost uh, got subbed by Diego Brandao. And those are his only losses and has wins over Hominick, Yves Jabuane. Like he was pretty good, pretty good record. Dude, that's that's awesome, man. No, yeah, maybe it was the cuts to featherweight because the Scarecrow Garza was like six one and he somehow was extremely made that fucking tall. Weight yeah, I was always stupid. worried he was going to break his leg throwing a kick. Oh Jesus, yeah, the like Corey Hill. By the way, shouts to that tweet for people that said, uh, you know, the, the the that that Ultimate Fight Night card. I don't want to step on it, but uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was uh, that was a crazy card. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> dude, no, that was a good one. You that was a genuine reaction you got from me, which is the point of this this list. Like, yeah, yeah, I fucking forgot about that one. Yep. Um. Do you want to double? Do you want to double dip and, and go to your sure. uh, number three, sir? Yeah, man. Uh, 
Yep, I'll do my number three. Uh, I, I think anytime you can get a spinning KO, it's it's always going to get a rise out of people. And so I was trying to think of – I think basically every spinning kick has been covered pretty uh, uh, fully. So I think everyone is pretty aware of like – you know, obviously the uh, Barboza's wheel kick is not going to land on here because everyone knows it's going to be a highlight forever. And pretty much any wheel kick knockout or spinning kick knockout is going to be. So I had to go to like elbows and spinning back fists because we've had more of those so i think there's more of an opportunity to miss them or forget about them so like when i was thinking about spinning back fists shoney carter pops up because he's kind of the one he was kind of the godfather of it uh and the the one that they used to show the most on like the the highlight reels but since then we've got a lot of good ones um I've got one of my honorable mentions as well that didn't make it, but the one that did make it for spinning back fist for me, uh, number three was back at UFC 182. So fairly recently, it was like one of the first fight cards of the year, I think. And it was still held up and wound up being my favorite KO of the year. And it was Paul Felder knocking out Danny Castillo. Oh yeah. Back. Yeah. Because it wasn't like he just went in and threw it. He timed a, it, it was a counter. He threw it as a counter and it worked perfectly man because uh i, I rewatched the fight this morning and danny castillo was actually doing a really good job against him he was throwing this this like it wasn't a super low kick it was almost like a really high low kick that it could have landed on felder's uh it could have landed as a low blow but it never did and so he was hitting him with it and then he'd follow with a right hand and since castillo was fighting orthodox when he would follow with that right hand he was kind of overextended right and he, he he didn't have his feet behind him and his chin was kind of out over his feet and uh and i think his uh felder's coach i don't know if he was training with duke rufus at that time or not but whoever felder it was in felder's corner must have said something about it because literally the first time castillo throws it in the second round he throws that it's almost like a body kick but it's supposed to be a low kick so it's hitting really high on the thigh he throws it and then as soon as he lunges in with that that follow-up right hand uh felder just spins and and drills him with his with his forearm and uh and it is a brutal knockout and it's perfectly timed and it's it's a it's one of the best times that a counter uh spinning back fist has, has worked to that effect man so it's a good one that's my number three felder knocking out castillo uh in a ufc 182 dude I, I i love that fight i made made some money off that fight i think felder was in the neighborhood of at least maybe by the time fight time at least uh plus 300 yeah. uh and i was like and i looked at him I'm like this guy's undefeated and i'm like let me see and i'm like Oh, he's fought in uh, that CFFC. They're they're good. I'm like, oh, this guy's the Irish Dragon. He's a Taekwondo guy. He's got a spinning <laughs> uh, hook kick KO. I'm like, I'll take yeah. a shot on him. And uh, and he didn't have one UFC fight, but I didn't see it. It was against uh, Jason Sago. It was just a decision yep. win, his yep. debut. But uh, but yeah, and he knocked him out. And I, man, I, that made me a, a Paul Felder fan from 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 then on. And the, the dude's just you know done better for himself in and out of the cage since. But. That that could be easily forgot got about uh, when people see him as a commentator, not realizing the earlier part of his uh, career spinning to win. Yeah, spin to win, man, and he he's got a lot of good wins, and I just think this is one this is a uh, part of his highlight reel that I think people don't remember or don't don't think about, and it's probably one of the better spinning back fist knockouts that we've had in MMA that I don't think it, whenever I see like a high like a highlight reel uh, of a bunch of great knockouts, I never see this one included on it, and it's uh it's one that I think should be because it's it's really really good. Yeah, it seems like a no brainer. Like it fits the edit really well for their Baba O'Reilly uh, mashup. Mm-hmm. Right, put it in there, dude. Uh, they got to change that that uh, that one up uh, up more too. Although I do, I think they should also keep like uh, certain versions, like you mm-hmm. know, and almost have different versions of those, giving respects to the. Because at the same time, I I I I never wanted to see stuff go like the Josh Thompson Eve Edwards uh, 
Oh yeah, to brown. I'm, I'm, I'm weary about saying finishes because I don't know what's. I know going. I've got one more that's in that that I, I'm. Not, it's not on my list, but I never want to see it go, and I don't think it's on yours either. I'm gonna say it. I say hope it. I don't fucking think it. Uh, the David Loazzo spinning spinning body kick to no. Charles McCarthy. Oh, that I hope they never one. take. That I hope they be... never take that out of the, that Baba O'Reilly uh, video. That's true. Uh, me too. And that that would have been one that would have got me to pop on this list as well. But uh, my number three, actually, by the way, that weird ref Dusty Rose thing, I, I was lying. It wasn't the Nick, the Nick Denis fight. Um, it is this fight, which is kind of close to the same era of your, as your number four. Uh, this was the last WEC card. And mm-hmm. this was, uh, I, I knew I needed to look up the, the, the name Ken Stone when this list came up. Oh, I already know where this yep. is going. Ken Stone versus Eddie Wyland. When we talk about oh. slam KOs, <laughs> it's a huge game. we don't talk about this one. And it's, again, it's a Bantamweight KO in an era where, like, the Bantamweights were considered the smallest people. Like, even hardcores weren't following or taking, like, 125 seriously for the most part, unless you were, like, a part of the Tachi Palace crowd or in Japan. Yeah. Um, really, you weren't. These were the smallest people. Uh, again, the women did not even have close to the same standing or presence. Like, Bantamweights were your proverbial little guy in MMA. And, um, my God, this was just awesome. Like, if you watch the pre-fight package, by the way, Ken Stone was undefeated coming into this fight, and he was a, a good kickboxer from a southpaw stance, but he had yeah. a, he was a Division three wrestler. He was actually the wrestler here, uh, Eddie Wyland, and it couldn't have been worse. He was like... He was like in his pre-fight. He could he couldn't aside from saying I'm going to get slam knocked out, Jordan. He literally says every jinxy fucking thing for how the fight went down. He was <laughs> like, he was like, uh, he was like, my wrestling's better than him. He's not going to get the better better of any wrestling scenarios, and uh, and so is my kickboxing. So I'm not really worried about his power. In fact, I think he's underrated. If he th- and if he thinks I'm just a wrestler and a kickboxer, well, guess what. I got good submissions, and I'm not afraid to go for them. <laughs> and I'm like, it, it, pretty much, I'm like, you, you was right. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And it just, it, it, yeah. And in the fight, he, uh, he he does a little bit of kickboxing, uh, gets tagged, goes in for a shot, doesn't get the shot. So when he comes, he comes up to a clinch, and then just decides to pull guard, just to jump up and pull guard. And you almost see you see Rogan p- peek up, like, oh, this is what Bravo's been preaching. Why don't more people pull guard? And he's like, oh, he's pulling guard. Oh, he's going through a guillotine here. And he starts kind of wrapping up a guillotine, and, 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 and Wyland does a smart thing. He fights the hands, walks him over to the cage. He gets his frames in proper position, just like you're fighting inside someone's guard. Yeah. He puts his hands on their chest or in the inside of their biceps and shoulders, gets his frame up, and then just launches forward and yeah. flattens this big, lanky, like 5'11 bantamweight who's got long arms and legs, and you see him just flatten straight out like a cartoon character. Yeah, man. Uh, I remember this one vividly because um, – Shout out, to, shout out to a to a website here. But I, I this was around the time where I just got into making predictions on Tapology. Like I would go hey. through there and 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 make all my uh, my predictions. And this I I got almost a perfect card. This was the only fight I missed. Um, and I got like all the the methods correct too. Man. Oh shit! Like literally the only one I missed. I picked Ken Stone by third round submission. I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, why the fuck would I do? Like you know, at the time oh, now, shit. I'm like, why would I not do? that but like yeah I, man i picked Bur- i i don't want to call anything else out from this one but like everything everything right except this fight man and i i was like what the hell because i did not i didn't see it uh and so i had to go back and watch it later and i was like oh my god that's huge so you that's pettis, you had pettis by decision too mm, i that's, did that's impressive especially by decision if you really look at how their their fight 
the fighting. I don't styles. know why. I couldn't tell you why, but no, I did. That's a great call. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah, that, that, yeah. Uh, obviously, that we just referenced what headline that last WEC card there. Dude, there were some great fights on that oh, card. Oh man, this is one that popped into my head. I knew I had to. Like, I didn't know who it was with, but I'm like, I think. I think Ken Stone gets slammed really hard. Let me look that up. Ruben, my goddamn perfect card. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, on good that, call. That note, you're number two, sir. My number two is another pretty recent one, man. I think a lot of I, I think a lot of the ones that I'm picking here are ones that um, I think if you said what happened, people are like, oh, I remember that. But it's like, do you do you remember it? Because this is super impressive. Um, and my number two is Aljamain Sterling arm triangling Takeya Mizugaki from the bottom. Holy fuck! <laughs> yeah, at, I, I'm sorry. Keep going. You'll see why I pop. You'll, there's no crossover, but you'll see why I pop at this. Keep going. Yeah, it, it was at UFC on Fox. It was the Machida Rockhold one back in April of 15. And uh, anybody who gets a win over Takeya Mizugaki, is, it's a good win because he's a hard out. He's a tough out, really tough veteran, really well-rounded, does not get finished often. And uh, I think if anyone practices jiu-jitsu, and as Dan has more experience with this than I do, I, I you very rarely see a guy get finished with an arm triangle from the bottom. You've got to have some serious squeeze to do, to do that because it's the only one I've ever seen in an MMA fight and I've seen a lot of MMA fights. Uh, so the fact that he did this to a really game, well-rounded opponent like Takei Mizugaki is super impressive. And this is another one I, I really think should be included when you're, when you see a top 10 UFC submissions of all time, this, this needs to be in there because it's, it's crazy that he, that he was able to pull this off at the highest level of competition. Because yeah, if you pull this off and maybe, uh, uh, if you're a guy who's clearly on, a path to the UFC and you're fighting in regionals and you're maybe not fighting guys who are at your level and you pull it off. It's still impressive, but not much. So if you're doing it in the UFC against the best guys in the world, that is crazy to me, man. And and nobody talks about this one. Nobody talks about how great this was. Sterling finished an arm triangle from the bottom. It's crazy. I, I love, I love it. I, I'm popping for this uh, because of what my, well, my what my number two is, which I'll get to in a second, because I, I this fight uh, is one of my favorites. We we definitely, obviously, people don't know. No, we me and you could talk some some uh, some Takei oh. Mitsugaki for sure. And this is one of my favorite submissions. Um, I've I, 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 I I've hit it in the practice room twice, and like the two of my favorite submissions I probably ever hit in the practice room or otherwise. Um, especially because if, if you're sneaking, sneaky about it, you're doing it from a back mount. They're worried about protecting that far side from the hook, yeah. and and or they think you're falling off from the near side, and really you're setting that up. And you don't see that often uh, in no gear MMA because it's a hard submission, and not that arm triangles from the bottom are unheard of, but they're more common in the gi. Exactly, and I actually yeah. tried it. Now that I'm actually rolling more in the gi consistently, now I actually tried it the other night. I'm like, oh, I'm in the gi. Maybe this will be easier now. I'm like, nope, I fucking lost it, and then I spent the rest <laughs> of the round getting my shit pushed in. You ever yeah. get your shit pushed in? <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's crazy. You're right. It's crazy that it happened in an MMA fight because it was in the third round too, and these yes. guys are both sweaty and tired and like that that makes it all the more impressive because you're right you know it you see it in the gi sometimes and you'll see it in in jiu-jitsu competitions but that's because guys you've got a lot more leverage and you've got a lot more friction there to do it but but shirtless sweaty uh you know 13 minutes into a fight that's crazy well that's awesome you have this for your number two because it's a great pick it's a fight that um i i I definitely won't forget about for those kind of things that I just explained. So I'm, I'm a little biased in that regard, but it's good for you guys to go rewatch if you haven't seen that or just to remind yourself. And I also like the evidence your number two because I thought of this, but I said, you know, when I was talking about historical stuff, stuff too, and reaching deep back, 
This is actually one of those because I thought of the fight that Jordan just said for his number two, and I thought, what was the first time we saw this in MMA? <laughs> and it was a guy, a little guy known by uh, the name of Chuck Liddell when he fought Jeremy Horn back at UFC 19 yeah, in their first fight uh, back in 1999, March 5th, 1999, guys. Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, and, and Liddell's got wrestling shoes on. Like, this is how old school it is. Uh, we have, uh, I want to say an early Goldberg. You can barely recognize him, but you have, um, what's his name? Who I always liked, man, especially cause I, I also grade him in the context for the time that he was operating in. Um, what was his name? God, Bl- not Blockowitz. Bl- uh, Je- Jeff, Jeff Blacknick. Blacknick. Yes. Yeah. I-, I love uh, same reason why I like watching old, like NCAA footage, you know, like with mm-hmm. him when he was commentating for it. He's just really good. I'm, 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 I've always, yeah. I'm a big fan of him. I know you know you, you criticize him, but I, I, I grade I grade him on the scale that it was the early days. For the early days, like he says some really smart things there. But as smart as he was for a lot of the guard work, because there's a lot of grappling, which was surprised. Like, why isn't Liddell using a striking advantage at this point? Even he wasn't as known for that, but Liddell was 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 still known for mainly using his wrestling to stand and strike. And there was a lot of grappling, and he was doing a good job calling it. But toward the end, um, Jeremy. Horn is setting up an arm triangle from topside. He gets topside in a scramble. And it's just so funny, like, looking at defense. Like, even Liddell, who grappling was never his forte, even in the state he's at now, like, he would know if a guy's going for a head and arm, oh, I yeah. better straighten that out and circle my arm around his head and, and clear that threat. Like, just one-on-one textbook defense. Like, he's not even aware of it, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and even, like, Black Nick's like, oh, a side choke here, a side choke, because, you know, it th- was only called side chokes back then. Sure. And, um, and, and, and when Liddell realizes it's too late and he just bridges up to, and he kind of freaks out. And he, when he bridges up, uh, Jeremy Horn lets him bridge up and sweep him because he's already got his arm connected for the arm triangle. Uh, and Liddell's actually out for a good minute. But, like, you know, McCarthy's, you know, again, it's Big John, but uh, Big John's the best. But this is still the early days. You can't really fault him for this. He didn't really do the Hulk Hogan, like, arm check. But he did yeah. a little bit of a nudge, and, and Liddell... He, like, it, nudged him, yeah. In, in his defense, Liddell was kind of fighting tight on the inside of the guard. It's not like he had a, a loose arm that, that uh, could make it really easy to tell. Like, his, he was pretty compact to start. So, uh, and, and then when the round's over, like, oh, it's like it's over. Well, we'll see what he can do next round. Like, the commentators don't even realize it until Chuck Liddell's just not getting up. <laughs> He's just laying there. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> He's, he was out probably that whole minute. Because if you look, it took him a while to get up. Like, it was... Aside from twitching, it was probably a pretty pretty bad choke out. So with that, the, the historical thing, the, the, the technical stuff that we just talked about, our love for that move, and the fact that you know when you think of Chuck Liddell, you don't really think of that. Um, I, I felt like I had to put that on the list. That's a good call, man. That's that's one that I think their first fight is not one that gets referenced very often. I think usually when people talk about Liddell and Jeremy Horn, you talk about the the time they fought after that, and Liddell knocks him out right in the fourth round or whatever. Um, but this is this is a crazy one, man. I'm I'm looking at the fight page right now, just kind of kind of looking at. It. I haven't seen that footage in a very long time. I know I've seen it at some point. That was Liddell's third pro fight, man. Well, That's I, crazy. Well, I was just thinking about it too because another reason why it will come up, a uh, guy we just talked about in the recap, Ian Heinish, his one lone yeah. loss is to this submission. He got caught by uh, Marcus Maluco Perez, who's also in the oh, UFC yeah. now uh, in LFA. The, the, that lo- that's his lone loss. He got caught in a crazy transition. He had it from the top and fell to the bottom with it, and and uh, he had his arm up like just like Chuck and got caught. And yeah, so. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Jer- My favorite fact about this: Jeremy Horn had just turned twenty-three, and he was already thirty fights into his career. Yeah, at that yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy, dude. Good, good pick. Um. All right. Yeah. So we're on to number one. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. My number one is the only time I stepped out of the UFC. 
uh, in my whole list. But it, it's it's one that comes up that I think not a lot of people know about, and it's become more relevant now that this fighter who's on the losing end of it has has really gotten to be a better fighter and, and a top five guy, and he's more in the news now. Uh, and it was at Bellator 5, a long time ago at Bellator 5, when Jorge Masvidal was put to sleep by Toby Amada in an nice. inverted triangle. And if you haven't seen it, uh, it's pretty crazy to watch because it's it's a wild scramble, and Amada gets the, the inverted triangle, and Masvidal's fighting it and then tries to stand up, and then instantly goes out and like falls in a really weird way. And it looks kind of like bad, but uh, it, it's, it's a wonky finish, but it's one now that, I mean, obviously Masvidal is not the fighter that he is now back then. Uh, he was still learning. He, he was not as well-rounded. He was more of a striker. Uh, but, but that, that was a crazy submission. I think it won like submission of the year at all, like the, at all the, the, the MMA awards, you know, and at the time I remember everyone talking about it, but you know, as times passed, I think people forget about it. Uh, everyone kind of knows Masvidal now for being the striker who's knocked out Cerrone and he goes and he, you know, has a big knockout win over Till this huge, you know, put, sleeps him and Masvidal's, you know, going to be fighting for titles. He's a top five guy, but, but, uh, you know, this is one of those things that, that shows you everyone has to grow and start somewhere. And this was one where he was on the receiving end of a, of a very very crazy submission and it's i I put it as my number one because uh it's one that i think i will always remember uh watching it live and then uh and just who masvidal's turned into since then same uh as crazy as it might sound um this actually made me aware who jorge masvidal was i mean uh, up till then he was a guy that like eve edwards fought for me right um because again I, i i was I was a hardcore at this point, but my hardcoreness didn't extend back to like the beginning 2000s exactly. or anything yeah, like that. And Masvidal has been fighting for a minute, and then he did the YouTube stuff, obviously. And I like that one, Jordan. It's on my honorable. Me- it didn't make my list, not because it doesn't deserve to be, but I do have it written down here in my honorable mentions because uh, it's just it's a great one and really kind of apropos to now because he's fighting Ben Askren. And back at that time, although behind the scenes he might not have been popular for his style, Askren and Eddie Alvarez were like Bellator's big names and winners and and champions. So, you know, Masvidal was being posterized by a finish while Askren was, you know, arguably getting toward the top of his game. So the fact that, you know, they're going to be meeting, uh, that's that's kind of a cool retrospective when you look back how far Masvidal's come. where they've come from, yeah. No, that that's a that's no that's a, that's a, that's a that's a really that's a really good one, man. I, I'm glad you brought that one up. Um, by the way, before I give my number one, I, a note that I touched on in the beginning: did how did ordering the list fit for you? That's worthy and worthy of your number one. I just because, for example, again, I, I felt like I, I it, not that it didn't matter, but I felt like uh, I I wasn't being atrociously wrong by putting these in any particular order. No, I feel the same way, dude. I feel like my five could have been my one on this list. I didn't have very strong feelings that any of them needed to be one. Yes. Um, so, so I, I kind of just put my list together and then slowly said, "All right, all right, okay, okay." And then uh, I don't know that there was much of rhyme or reason to to actually numbering the list, but but trimming it down to the top five was hard. Yeah, trimming it down to the top five was hard for sure. And I guess maybe this one was a more obvious number one because historically it's the earliest i know it's actually going earlier than 1999 here folks um but bear with me this is these are these are these are still big names and historically i believe kind of an important finish that doesn't get um talked about that doesn't get talked about too much here uh and that's 
Kazushi Sakuraba versus Conan mm-hmm. Silvera. And Conan mm-hmm. Silvera, for people that don't know, if, if you see the guy who looks like the Brazilian version of Hodor in the corner of American <laughs> Top Team Fighters, yep. that's Conan Silvera, who was a badass Carlson Gracie oh, yeah. fighter back in the day. Like, even in this fight, like, they fought twice. Uh, and that's why you'll see it's UFC 15.5, uh, aka Ultimate Japan, uh, December 21st, 1997, folks. They are in Japan. Damn. And uh, we actually recently had uh, – this was fresh in my head because we actually recently had uh, Conan Silvera and MMA Junkie Radio. And I asked him about this fight. And uh, essentially the first one, if you watch it, and like Conan Silvera does some cool stuff. Like he like goes down for a leg lock and uses it to scramble and comes up to Sakuraba's back. Like pretty advanced – this is 1997, guys. This is like over mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Like most guys – there's still plenty ignorant professional fighters when it comes to leg locks, much less guys that are smart enough to use failed leg locks to get to backs and like – this big fucking heavyweight was doing it. Like, pretty damn impressive side note. But uh, he uh, he's able to... F- uh, it, it, it's kind of crazy. Like, you see Sakuraba get the figure four, the dreaded figure four that he put away, you know, the double wrist lock that he put away the Gracies with. Yeah. And, but thankfully, you know, there's like a 50 or 60-pound goddamn weight difference. Like, I think Sakuraba was only like 88 kilos and like... Uh, Conan is like a thick 244, right? Yeah, big, big dude, yeah. Uh, and uh, so he's kind of just using pressure to smash the double wrist lock threats and uh, get some up. And, and then when and then when Sakuraba abandons it and kind of goes to get up, uh, Conan starts unloading him. He actually hurts him with a, with a punch off the break. But then Sakuraba looks to recover and get his hands up. And not a lot of the shots land clean, but he goes in for a sing, single leg. And it, it was kind of very reminiscent to... Um, Who's that guy? That Alzak Al Hassan. He fought uh, Razak Al Hassan, the male stripper guy. They had to run it back, uh, but they didn't run it back the same <laughs> night. They, they, yeah, yeah. Because now we're twenty years later. They rematched. I believe. Yeah, literally twenty years later in twenty seventeen. Uh, who's that guy from American Top Team? The Tim Means beat the crap out of him. He was the male stripper, anyways. But that fight, uh, Razak kind of hits him, and it looks like he goes down and limp and drops from the punch, which signals the ref, which triggers a lot of referees to stop it. But it was really one of those things where he gets hit, but then he parlays the momentum and shoots in for a single. And that's what Sakuraba does here. He doesn't really hit a penetration step, but he clearly grabs for the and, – and, and has an ankle pick by the time McCarthy's stopping it. You could see McCarthy's vantage point. He didn't see that. And McCarthy, yeah. it, defensively so, was triggered – uh, it was actually a defensible stoppage. Again, I'm not bringing this up. I love John McCarthy, and this isn't. This is he's talked about this. This is his most regrettable stoppage. That he's been on the record about this. Um, so it's an important one for history, right? And yeah. uh, so they they announce him as the winner, and it's crazy. Like Sakuraba, like he who's such a clown and a naturally nice guy. Like this is the most pissed you've ever seen him. He's like because he's immediately up and protesting it, and you know it was a bad stoppage, but one that was defensible because you know the vantage point and and the body language. But it's funny, like when Bruce Buffer is actually announcing the uh, the result that that Conan won. Sakuraba, he's actually having a stiff arm and like fight Sakuraba for the mic. Like they actually have like a mini scuffle. Like it got <laughs> Bruce Buffer's like eyes light up. Like you never see Bruce that Bruce that pissed. Like uh-huh. it was it was crazy. And uh, then you go, you click on Fight Pass, it just shows them fighting again, and they, the, the commentary does their best to explain it, but as Conan told us on MMA Junkie Radio that there were Yakuza-type characters standing outside of his door, and he was not a, he's not a guy to mince words. He's a very realistic, non-dramatic guy, and he was like, I felt like I was going to be killed that night, I wasn't going to walk out right. of the arena or leave Japan if yeah. I didn't fight him. So he goes back out there, he puts up a good fight, I don't know if he gets tired or what. But he ends up, and it's funny. We actually just drilled this the other night. The uh, we've been drilling arm bars for the past couple of weeks. But uh, turning, you know, kimura grips into arm bars, whether you're breaking grips or if somebody yeah. locks up a kimura on you from the bottom, you can actually reverse them for an arm bar. 
Uh, and it was kind of a more sloppier version of what Matt Hughes hit George St. Pierre in their first fight. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that's what Sakuraba does. And he actually, and not only does he now become the winner, the ironic part, they actually had a heavyweight tournament that night. But I forget who it was. I don't think it was Fry or Coleman. But somebody, like, they won, but they couldn't continue. It was, I remember, it was Tank Abbott. Yeah, it was Tank Abbott. It's right. Yeah. So not only do they have to do this, like, forced Yakuza-funded re- <laughs> rematch, but now that becomes the impromptu main event, which also right. is supposed to crown the heavyweight champion winner. So Sakuraba, is not only does he win the match that he just lost, he becomes the heavyweight champion winner for the UFC, and that's your Sakuraba UFC ex- uh, experience, appearance there. Yeah, it, I, I only know that because this is the first... Uh, this is my first exposure to MMA because I remember my brothers renting this VHS at like the video store. I still remember, I still remember the covers like vividly. It's like orange and yellow flames (laughs) and on the front in like super stereotypical Japanese like text, it says ultimate Japan UFC or something on the front. And uh, it's like, you know, it's got like some crazy language underneath it where it's like, uh, you know, the mature audience is the most brutal sport or something like that. And like, I remember my brother's watching it and being like, I want to watch this. Can I watch this? Like, <laughs> being like, you know, nine years old or something like that. No, and trying totally. to watch it. I, I, but, uh, I, I always passed on those videotapes, but I remember exactly what you were talking about. I, I usually would walk shamefully walk past them, but I was not old enough to rent them. Even if I wanted to, maybe I mean, that's like, why, maybe that's why I walked past. Yeah. Them. Well, they always had like mature on the front. I was like, I can't get that. But I had, you know, a brother who was 17 and he was like, he got them. So, but I remember tank Abbott fought some guy and like, cause my brothers at the time it was like tank Abbott knocks everybody out. And like, uh, he fought like a really boring fight and it was like a 15 minute fight. And tank was like gasping for breath. Like he, like he just ate two quarter pounders and smoked a pack of Pall Malls. He probably did. Like towards, towards the end of it. And like, <laughs> I, I, he got the he won a decision I remember but like walking out of the cage his hands are on his hips and he's like bending over like he's gonna throw up it's like tanks never fought for 15 minutes in his life and so yeah they uh they uh he he, he they they asked him to fight I remember the commentators came on they say something like you know we we've asked tank to fight and he's refused or something like that and like he's bowed out of the tournament or something like that <laughs> like, yeah fat fuck he can't do anything I would love uh, for a camera on the behind the scenes there right yeah, oh, exactly, to hear that conversation. All right, Tank, you ready for your next fight? Man, fuck that, I ain't fighting again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, uh, and oh, just real quick to, to, to the guy you were talking about, Saba Hamasi. Yes, that's Saba Hamasi, thank you. And so do the people so, who are probably shouting at their their, their phones. I know, that, yeah, I, I know. I'm usually that guy. That's why I hate doing that to people, totally. Yeah. Uh, there, we didn't get to, uh, I'm going to queue looser submissions. We'll, we'll probably be able to knock these out pretty fast. But um, then I guess we'll we'll just jump to our honorable mentions because I know that there's definitely a, a good couple that we both want to get to, right, Jordan? Yeah, yeah, I've got a few. Okay, um, R- real quick, I'll just I'll just knock out the listeners just 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 give them some some shout here. We got a uh, Nick Natove at not Kovitz Charles Oliveira's calf slicer. I believe that was against Eric Eric's- Wisely. Wisely, yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, who recently came up on some tape study for uh, the last card as well, and yeah, that's, that's a good one there. Yeah, that was a good one. That was the I, – I don't know if it was the first calf slicer in UFC history, but it was the first one I remember seeing in the UFC for sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, I got another list here. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Okay. Uh, Mike Noel. Jersey Mike. Jersey, Jersey. Um, number one, Beth Ben Rothwell versus Josh Barnett. Barnett had never been submitted Ooh. before this. Yeah, good call. I think that one will age like wine, Mike. Uh, two – 
of course, he's got to have Jersey on there, right? Frankie Edgar versus Yair Rodriguez. Frankie made my my made Yair look as bad as he could possibly look. People forget that it didn't go to to a decision. You know, that's true. So it was one very one sided. Yeah, certain fight archetypes are like that, where like the hype comes in and we forget, like we forget the grappling. Or, you know, uh, is a, is like a thing, or maybe even experience. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would, I could argue even that that Felicia, even though the experience factor doesn't count for that one, but the Felicia Spencer, Megan Anderson, we were just talking about, kind of reminded me of that too. Like, oh yeah, yeah, no, shit works. Uh, three, Cody Garbrandt versus Thomas Almeida. That was a fun fight. Was there live? Memorial that was a fun Day. one while it lasted. Top five Memorial Day weekend uh, fights. How about that? Because it's weird. No oh. Memorial Day weekend fight cards. This this one. It is kind of weird. Yeah. And uh, some of my favorite memories are from there, uh, from from those weekends, especially here in Vegas. Like we got like UFC eighty four, Sean Shirk versus, versus BJ Penn, Ill Will. That was a fun <laughs> fucking card. Rip, rip, re- Sean Shirk. I recently, oh yeah, and I recently referenced that uh, weigh-in story. I know I shared with you on this podcast before, but I <laughs> tweeted out the other day that Tiago Silva buffet. Story. Oh yeah, going through the buffet, yeah, fucking savage. Uh, number four is Anthony Pettis versus Gilbert Melendez. Ooh, Gil yeah, had good. gone to a decision in every fight for the last nine years except this one. That is true. Yeah, I don't think anyone saw the sub, at least not that quick coming. I remember I was like, well, the first round came when I was like, wow, uh, this is uh, this is a pretty good fight. And then the second round, Pettis subbed him, right? I think that's how it went. And yeah. I was like, that was quick. And it's funny. It's like Pettis got submissions in the WEC, so it's not like we should have been that surprised. But I think, yeah, it was like, it was like oh, yeah, like between Benson Henderson and that Gil Melendez, like this guy can just sub people. Yeah. And then he would yeah. get guys like Charles Oliveira later on. And yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, five, Robert Whitaker, Derek Brunson, so wild and fun, kind of reminded me of a street fight. Derek was on a big KO streak and didn't fight his fight. Ultimately, this changed the middleweight division's future. That's true. And Brunson fought like a crazy man that fight. I have yep. no idea what the hell he was doing. But uh, maybe he just got hit hard early and the old Mike Tyson adage, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, and that might have been one of uh, – there, I know I know a lot of people out there. Uh, I think you know, shout out to True UK fan. I know he was uh, probably gifting that Derek Brunson dance for, <laughs> dance stop <laughs> for D Brunson. Yeah. Uh, but uh, all right, that, that that was a listener suggestion. Jordan, uh, let's knock out some uh, let's knock out some honorable mentions to finish this off here. What was yeah, one I try, that, was, I, that was almost I, on your list there. A one that was almost on my list was actually Anthony Pettis. Uh, Pettis uh, KOing Cerrone by a body kick back at a UFC on Fox. I love 6. that finish. That that was one of the first. That was the first TKO I think of Cerrone's career. I, I, I may be wrong on that, but uh, I remember like the the whole mo on him was that you know he's and he still is crazy tough. Cerrone's still crazy tough, but that was when Pettis was kind of at the top of his game, man, and and he was he was an absolute killer and and a really 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 solid liver kick that put a uh, cowboy away, and that's one that. I don't think people I, – I think in the grand scheme of things, sometimes we skim over how good Anthony Pettis was. And he's obviously making a little bit of a career resurgence right now. But there was a point in time where Anthony Pettis was like the motherfucker. Totally. No, totally. That's one of my – that will always probably be one of my favorite finishes from him. I love, love, love that fight. And especially like you look at the fights that they've been booked with recently and like to see those guys still fucking doing the damn thing. <laughs> That's awesome. It, it, it's it's pretty it, it's pretty impressive. Um one that almost made my list that was uh, I thought it was, this was too hipster uh, because I, I can't expect anybody to see that this fight. Um, it took place at it was one of the only non UFC or WEC selections. It took place at Superior Cage Combat One. And you're like, what the Jeez. fuck? I know what you're thinking, but like, trust me, there were there was a lot of Vegas locals on that card that like coaches of mine. Uh, 
who both won, which was awesome. But a lot of other guys, like uh, my buddy Jimmy Jones, fought Sergio, a uh, young Sergio Pettis. Hmm. Uh, a lot of Team Alpha Male guys were on there. Chris Holdsworth was on this card, uh, nice. and and he actually met Team Alpha Male, I, I believe, and they kind of that's where that's where he went from a Vegas guy to a Team Alpha Male guy, uh, because there was another Team Alpha Male guy, Justin Buckholtz, and he hmm. fought. A guy who fought also fought had a cup of coffee in the UFC named Steve Lopez. And what the yeah. reason why this fight's on there is because when we talk about the front kick KOs that happened in 2011, we we leave out there's three. We always leave out the third one. We all we we all know um, Anderson Silva versus uh, Vitor Belfort, and then Machida would get it uh, in April later that year in 2011. Mm-hmm. But on 521 2011, uh, Justin Buckles front kick KOs. Steve Lopez stiff, and I actually trained I with that. Steve Lopez at the at the time, and was backstage in the Extreme Couture uh, corner rooms for that fight, and that, that was just one of those fights where, again, I always say it like, I, I wish every MMA fan, whether they're a shit a piss poor fan or a good fan, could have one experience. Doesn't have to be yeah. a UFC fight, but just watch yeah. a fight card from the back room. It's a complete different experience. Um, it is, and you just see that dramatic, the whole agony and defeat, and like just remember, I remember, I still remember just seeing Steve Lopez's face is. Maybe not all there, not realizing still what happened, just devastated. Like, a guy put that much of a camp and just getting iced, you're just like, holy shit. And that one always stuck with me, so I, I had to throw that one some love. No, that's, a, I, that's obviously not one that I saw live, but I remember reading the result and then looking up and finding the video later. Yeah, I do it was remember definitely seeing one of those, yeah. for sure. Like, it, it spread. It spread a bit, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that almost made this list, but this one was more for, like, a fight. I don't know if... I don't know what kind of category this would fit under, but like, again, this, thank you, Jordan, for bringing this list because it made me look up this fight. I'm like, who are these two guys? I think it was a, a Mike Constantino Jersey guy and maybe Seth Petrozelli was in it, but it was one of those fights where like both guys give fucking everything. Like, it's a brutal, like, they're all fights. They're all cage fights. They all should feel like fights, but you know, some of those fights where it feels like it was a goddamn street fight and i've had yeah. sparring sessions mm-hmm. that kind of turn into that these things happen organically even in the gym you hear about those sparring sessions that turn into fights that's very yeah. similar uh certain fights turn into fights which sounds redundant and stupid but hopefully there's a point there that people get when i say that sometimes fights really turn into fights and this one was one of those from every step of the way from each guy is almost getting finished nothing left but like both guys walked away with multiple injuries and the fight ends with like a straight arm bar from top side which isn't much which isn't a common submission, but it's this guy's a real heavy set dude who real interesting career because he stopped after this. Ricardo Romero, UFC 116 versus Seth Petrozelli. Oh, UFC yeah. 116. There's so much. It was a a big card. So I mean, there's so much that you would you, you would have forgot about this uh, a curtain jerker. But I was a big fan of Mike Constantino, Jim Miller, Old Corner, and a lot of those Jersey guys. And he was 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 talking up Ricardo Ramos, or Ricardo Romero, who was not just a big Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt like hefty guy, but he actually grew up and and, and wrestled for Rutgers uh, in the East Coast. So like he was a mm. a weird hybrid, but really bad stand up. And you see that. So Petrozelli comes out, who was a fast starter, right? The Kimbo Killer. It's his first fight back in the UFC, and he starts mm-hmm. off like super fast, and he's just icing. Like it looks like he's got Ricardo Romero out on his feet, and it's only like a matter of time. But then he starts like, but Ricardo Romero is like fighting back. And actually hitting him with some elbows, and you see Petrozelli start to gas already in round one. And you're like, "Holy shit, this guy's gonna gas himself!" And uh, Romero's like able to get a takedown and survive round two. And then round two, he comes out and uh, and, and he's able to like secure a takedown and like almost submit him, take his back. And then he starts beating up on Petrozelli from the bottom. And you're like, "Holy shit!" Almost gets a submission, and uh, he tweaks his knee. He hurts his uh, the guy who wins the fight tweaks his knee. T- tears his pec and breaks a rib in the fight. 
Um, but he ends up fucking after almost getting finished for the first like round and a half. Ricardo Romero is able to get on top for like, the umpteenth time because it's this dog at scrambles. Because uh, Petrozelli is a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu this time, so he's mm-hmm. no slouch. He's just really fucking gas. Like he's still throwing up arm bars from the bottom. He's actually getting on top at certain points. Like it's actually a fun grappling match. But Ricardo Romero ends up getting on top in the second or third. I don't have it in front of me, and just locks up this straight arm lock with like the last of his strength. And yeah. you just and you see Petrozelli try to fight it, and you just see him put his belly on it though, Romero, and Ugh. and he just ah like one of those just visceral like screams, and yeah. he just gets off the guy. Both guys, you can't tell who won the fight. Uh, they're both just laying there. It's just one of those fucking dog fights, man. It's just yeah. underrated. I want to bring that up. There's a, there's a few of those like that could almost be its own category, like dog fights, just fights that fights that became fights within themselves. Almost, it's almost like a meta fight. But yeah, uh, yeah. that's it. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the only other couple that I had on my list, um, there's a couple uh, more hipstery picks, and there's one, there's a couple that are big name guys. Uh, one of the more hipstery ones was Jake Hecht versus Rich Atenito. Uh, Holy Beckett. shit. UFC 140, because um, that was the first time I remember seeing it. Travis Brown wound up, uh, you know, kind of popularizing it. But that was the first time I ever saw a guy get finished with elbows going for a takedown against the fence. Because um, I, I don't think I had seen Travis do that yet at this point. This was back in like 2010 or 2011. I can't wow, remember. Yeah, because even Conor McGregor actually has this, his elbow stoppage uh, in Cage mm-hmm. Warriors before Travis Brown's. But yeah. that's like 2011, 2012. So, yeah, this is this one's before. Yeah. could be the first. Holy shit. Adonito goes for a takedown, right? And uh, Hecht goes for it the first time, lands one. Adonito backs out. And then uh, Hecht kind of rocks him again on the feet. So Adonito goes for another takedown. And then he hits him with like three or four in a row and, and puts him out right away. And I remember thinking like, oh, man, Jake Hecht's going to be a, a, a badass. But, he, you know, another, no, nothing ever came of it. I know I, I remember his name, too, because he was a guy that trained with Matt Hughes. And, uh, you know, that was like 30 minutes south of where i grew up so so all, all those guys like i knew their names i was like all right okay but nothing ever came up but that was that was another cool finish that i don't think people remember very much um that, that's a great one i haven't heard either of those names in fucking forever yeah so that was one of them uh one of the other ones was another local guy for me kenny robertson yeah uh submitting brock jardine back in oh, like yeah, 2013 uh it, i guess it was a knee bar but it was it was a very, stretch. Yeah. yeah 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 it, was, it was name, but yeah yeah is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, we've seen a couple of them since. But that was like one of the first times that I uh, that that I remember seeing it, and it was Kenny mostly Robertson. just because. Yeah, Kenny Robertson, a live dog in a lot of fights, man. But uh, but he uh, looks like young uh, Dan Aykroyd out there with a shaved head. He does look like Dan Aykroyd. He's also like a fucking math teacher, and uh, <laughs> and he's like a super just normal dude that you'll see at like you know the grocery store, and like <laughs> like my dad's running into him a few times like getting groceries. That's he's great. like, oh hey Kenny, how's it going? And he's like, oh pretty good. <laughs> just fucking normal ass dude wearing New Balance, mowing his fucking yard and shit. Dude, but, love, uh, him. love Kenny. I always have love for that spinning uh, or that that KO he had of a uh, fucking uh, out, uh, the the Dagest, the Russian dude. Just retired too, yeah. Yeah, he did. Sultan Aliyev. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was over Brock Jardine, where it was, yeah, it was, it was, uh, put himself in an unfortunate position, but it was, it was, uh, yeah, a really good one. So that was, that was good one of one. them. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, the the other two that were on my list don't. I don't think they fit the list because people know about them, but I just feel like th- they don't get the recognition they deserve. So I couldn't put them in my top five for that reason. Uh, one of them you already mentioned because it was one of the front kicks that gets talked about all the time. Uh, but it was the Machida KO of Couture, and and people know about it and they've seen it a million times. But I don't. 
I don't think it gets the recognition it deserves. I think that is the much better front kick knockout than the Anderson Silva one. Personally, um, I know yeah. the Silva one was was quicker and it was it it, it was more of a I don't know against maybe someone who was more in their prime at that time, you know, against a, a Vitor Belfort. But, um, I mean, a win over Couture is amazing in itself. But it was literally the crane kick from Karate Kid. It and was. it's fucking awesome that he did that in a real fight. And it's it's crazy to me that, that that's not ever, like, that should always be a top three knockout of all time, that he did that in a fight. No can defend. Dude, we used <laughs> to have these big, like, fight parties at Extreme Couture, and, like, they, like, they would have, like, a big projector in like the the second room because they just opened the second part of the warehouse and that's where mainly everybody was watching the fight. But I would always go off to the the main room or the first room where they at that time they still had boxing rings back in the uh, oh, yeah. back then. And I would go up into the boxing ring and there'd be like little like uh, there's like a four big screen like of a pointing each different way like you're at a gym kind of a TV setup and I would just yeah. watch one of those TVs and I just remember sitting there watching that like watching Randy Couture get knocked out at Extreme Couture with like a whole bunch of people like it was just the most <laughs> dead silent like oh, oh yeah oh man <laughs> Dude, <laughs> but you're yeah, right though it was it was it arguably it was the more impressive one for sure yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, it's it is what it is, and and I, I I'll make no every anyone who's ever listened to me talk knows that I'm a Machida guy, so like oh totally, yeah, I, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. gonna find ways to put him in basically that was such every a sweet fight. I hated that match when it got put together. because oh, I sure. like both guys. Oh. I was like, oh fuck, come on, don't do this. No, and I yeah, and I don't know anyone that doesn't like Randy Couture too. So like, yeah, it's one of those ones that's like, but like that's uh, here's another maybe topic for someday best uh, like fight calls like by the announcer team. That's one of my favorite ones because. Uh, uh, Joe just starts going, oh, my God. Oh, my. And then Mike yeah. Goldberg's like, that's the karate kid, Joe. That's Daniel Son. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, you're right. No can defend. <laughs> no can defend. That's, that's great. That is great. Well, we do have a, that is one of the topics on the table, I believe, was uh, best moments in MMA commentary. Oh, what, man. That, we might have to oh. save that one for some time. That's yeah, yeah. One. I'm already going to step on one that will already be on my list, which is really random. So I'm going to uh, keep but my, 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 my last My last one was another one that people know about, but just from a technical level, is just amazing to do. Um, it, it's Damian Maya submitting Chael Sonnen with the, uh, the oh, triangle. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a great one. The, the, the whole sequence for the setup, it's outstanding, man. He hits a lateral drop on a, on a high-level wrestler, lands with his right leg over the shoulder already in triangle position it's it's crazy and i know sonnen's a guy who's been submitted multiple times so it's not the fact that it's against this impossible to submit guy but it's just to hit that on such a high level wrestler is is super super impressive and i think it was kind of setting the tone for how good damian maya actually is totally yeah totally no that's a great fan i love one of my favorite just throws into the triangle that foot sweep was just beautiful yeah. um i'll knock out just the last ones on my list you can comment as you will jordan uh this one just maybe, you know, this Drew was maybe just a little popular and there's so many, you know, a lot of Struve's finishes were like that. But I did write down uh, Stefan Struve versus Christian Moorcraft on my oh. birthday, UFC 117, on my birthday, August 7th. I was watching that, uh, just a real quick anecdote for that one. Yeah. I was watching that my roommate, one of my roommates in college was from the same town as Christian Moorcraft. And, <laughs> And he didn't. He didn't know anything about the UFC, man. Right? Yes. Like, so I was. I just happened to be watching it, and he walked in, and he was like, "What are you watching?" I was like, "Oh, the UFC. Uh, you want to watch it?" And he's like, "Sure." And so he sits down, and they go, "You know, next up, Stefan Struve and Christian Moorcraft." He's like, "What?" He goes, "I know that guy." He goes, <laughs> 
goes, I went to high school with that guy. I'm like, oh, cool. I had never seen Christian Warcraft fight. So I was like, oh, well, I, you know, I hope he does well. I've seen Struve. Struve's a really tall guy. And uh, first round, Christian Warcraft's whooping his yes. ass, yeah. right? Be, and my, my buddy's like, holy shit, I got to text. You know, he's texting all his friends. Turn on the TV. Watch watch Christian Warcraft. He's fighting. We remember this kid, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's got the big tattoo Warcraft on his belly. Warcraft. <laughs> That's how, that's how you read it, by the way. That's how you yeah. have to read it. Yeah. That's the kind of tattoo and the kind of guy he is. <laughs> but yeah, then I just remember he gets finished in the second round, right? It's the second round. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, so like Struve's kind of standing over him and just, just raining huge punches down on a clearly unconscious Christian Warcraft. And my buddy's like, oh, shit, are they going to stop this? And yeah. I go, I hope so. <laughs> and uh that was uh that was his introduction and exit from watching mma was watching a kid he went to high school with get the absolutely shit knocked out of him and it's, uh, and it's not just a regular knockout like the reason why i could have justified it on my list um was because of uh it was because of the way it finishes like because again Struve had a lot of comeback knockouts and sure he had that member also he had that nasty lip that robbie lawler s lip split like, yeah. like him and robbie lawler have some of the worst lip splits and he actually had a really bad one from that fight because Warcraft was like literally just like Donkey Kong pounding him, was getting yeah. getting around all his triangles, all the submissions that usually bailed out Struve. And you were like, oh shit. And the, the funny part, I didn't catch this, but Struve actually gets cheeky. Like they he they do the fist bump to start round two. And immediately before he's even like before he's even 25% retracted the fist bump, he's already sending out an inside leg kick with like three follow-up punches behind it. And Warcraft's like, you see him just go, oh, it's on now, motherfucker. And he just, like, O'Doyle rules him all the way to the fucking cage and starts barraging on Stefan Struve. And Struve just hits him with that perfect punch. And when Warcraft goes down, it's one of those few, and I think Korean Zombie does it too, where it's like Family Guy, where the reason why like the Family Guy knockouts look so funny is because they always put like that random arm arm behind the body in a weird position <laughs> yeah, yeah and 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 uh warcraft's arm actually gets caught when he falls back gets caught back behind him and it's actually entangled with one of struve's yeah. posting arm and struve of course is just using his free arm and it's just <laughs> repeatedly punching him like fucking uh like yeah. like like uh, ray liotta in that driveway scene uh to that adrian brody <laughs> lookalike in goodfellas like he's it's like okay like there's like how many times is he gonna fucking smack <laughs> yeah. this guy you know, and uh, from from all I've heard, uh, your account of O'Doyle ruling him—that's kind of the kind of guy that well, Christian Warcraft is. That, that's why I was popping, real quick, Jordan. That's why I was popping because before you said that, and the reason why, like, why is Dan like giggling like a schoolgirl for a story he's never heard is because the reason why I wanted to bring this fight to you, Jordan, because we we we're like just like the Tim Bosch thing. We're along the same lines for a lot of stereotypes, and the yeah. reason why I was popping because I was going to say, isn't Christian Warcraft like that fucking metalhead friend that we all had in high school? We're like, <laughs> you can do. Do this, bro. Yeah, I yeah. could do this. Look how fucking big you are, dude. You could kick the guy's ass. <laughs> yeah, bro. And you see, like, when Christian Warcraft's like getting introduced because it's his UC debut, he's only six and zero. Oh, so, like, retrospectively, you're like, oh, I didn't even have to look. I bet you he, he fought fucking six cans. Not a. F- and again, they, they even say it on the announcer, like, not a fight of his has gone past the two minute and forty second mark. That's yeah, because he's fighting oh. dudes that just got off the <laughs> the fucking dock in uh, you know Wellsmith, Mass, or wherever the fuck. He's from. I think Struve like already had six UFC fights by this time, and this is like yeah. early in the career and uh and yeah when they're announcing him and they're doing the cage like walk back thing like you could just totally see like yeah bro you could totally i could fucking do this bro and warcraft's like, taking off his machine head t-shirt to fight yes oh it's so good yeah by the way that's another thing uh ken stone on his walkout 
Like, I'm almost rem- reminded why, like, they have, like, I'm like, I could see why they got the Reebok argument passed. Like, he's he, he's fucking, he has fight shorts, like some sneakers, nothing matches. The sneakers are different color than the fight shorts and then he's got this like it probably looks cool when he's like up with his north face pacific northwest crew when they're up in the mountains but like he's rocking this like nike it looks like a north face like windbreaker pullover jacket you know with the top zipper except it's got a nike sign but it's like this like bright green brown ugly picnic plaid pattern like i don't get it nothing matches and i'm like it was distracting like i had to like pause and like break down ken stone's walkout where i'm like this is shit like this ken stone is why we ended up getting reebok you and dennis Holman. thanks a lot you assholes (laughs) it's like damn what do you want the guy got knocked out three fights after and stopped fighting (laughs) well (laughs) sorry but yeah i had to bring up street from warcraft i knew that would get a that would spark some good good call very good call Uh, yeah real quick uh I wrote Gordon Silva. This was on UFC Fox. This was too soon to be fights you forgot. But speaking of that Tommy Spear knockout where a guy's like falling asleep against the fence, like, so, uh, what's his name? Fuck, I can't. There's too many Silvas to remember. Um, Silva, who only fights once a year, Silva? Yeah, that's Silva, Dan. That, uh, versus Jared Gordon. I'm a big fan of Jared Gordon. Uh, 145 or 155, I forget, but he got, like, standing KO'd, and he's, like, sleeping against the fence, and I oh, love Joaquin Jared Gordon's Silva. story. Yeah, Joaquin yeah. Silva, yeah. And I'm like, that. Like, that's a fight that would be on this list if we did this list years from now. Like, that would be one of those. Because yeah, it already cool. doesn't get talked about, and it just was one of the most insane finishes. Um, I told you I, I rewatched two of my favorite fight cards, that, which was one of them was what uh, was that first fight for the troops uh, fight card, which I tweeted about. And you just see like Yoshida get like, dude. I mean, oh. dude. I think I'm part Japanese, folks, and I'm from Hawaii. I think the Japs at Pearl Harbor got off easier than Yoshida <laughs> that night. I, like he got. <laughs> Like, he got KO'd twice on the feet oh by, like, two clean gosh check right hands. Like, because the ref, like, didn't see that he was outstanding on the first one. <laughs> dude, that that is one of the, the worst. Uh, knock- that dude, I felt like that guy got knocked out way more than he should have. Like, well, he got thrown to the wolves a lot. At, well, after that, it, actually, up until then, he had a really respectable record and had really good performances. And he still pulled off another impressive um, submission win. One of them I'm going to reference that he got before, but after this fight, but like two fights after this, he they put him in there against 176 pound Rumble Johnson because yeah. Rumble just wasn't Ugh. making weight at that point. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, that, yeah. The, that the, those are the two I guess that I mostly can like Koscheck knocked him out huge, and then then he gets a he I'm looking at his record. He gets a win. They're like, all right, back on the right track. Here's Anthony Johnson. <laughs> and when they're announcing him for that fight again, when they're like announcing the fighters, like you could see like the emotions, like you again, more crafts doing the O'Doyle rules. Like Yoshida was like, you could visibly see his thought bubble, bubble of him processing himself, <laughs> getting knocked out. And it was, it's not to the very end of his little camera pop and introduction that he realizes the camera's there. And he just looks to the left and gives the like, a last minute, like, oh, yeah, and kind of like a half-hearted fist bump, like, hi, yeah, that's me. And then he goes right back to his fantasy of, like, oh, God, I'm going to get killed. Uh, I'm going to get killed. Like, and that, and that's how the fight essentially went down. But, no, I actually, Yoshiyuki Yoshida's, uh, Yoshiyuki Yoshida's, uh, his, uh, his finish over uh, War Machine. Uh, oh, yeah. By the way, uh, oh, by the way, if uh, in case Andrew Millington is listening to this, if, if we did a fantasy Deadwood MMA cast, I don't know who the character is who kills all the hookers, but we'd probably have to cast War Machine as him, right? Good pick. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
Hey, the sad part is MMA is actually, it's probably harder to cast those roles because of the DV uppage that sadly seems to be going up. Anyways, he got a sweet uh, anaconda choke at UFC 84 over War Machine. That was a cool one. Um, I wrote Paul Sass down just because I wanted to talk about him, but there wasn't like one finish in particular, but I wrote down his, his fight versus Jacob Volkman, his last win in the UFC. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wrote Chad Griggs down, but that was another one that didn't really pan out. The Grave Digger. Yeah, I mean, maybe he'll come up... Uh, Maybe he'll come up on like a uh, an unlikely heroes type of role or something because like I wrote his you know maybe his fight with Lashley that was more just an upset the the finish was more anticlimactic like Lashley was pretty much quit and was quitting before then yeah. uh, and uh, but I wrote down Ch- uh, Chad Griggs versus John Vellante which is Vellante, one of those that was fun crazy fight. one yeah. round fights right that's one of those amazing mm-hmm. one round fights yep uh, and uh, last one Abel Trujillo versus Jamie Varner that was just an insane yeah fucking finish and fight. But uh, yep, but yeah, man. You know, I'm surprised that more from uh from either of us, to be honest, that I, I didn't draw more from the because the the two fight night cards that we keep referencing really like both those cards are full of finishes alone. Like I, I tweeted earlier that according to Joe Silva per Ben Saunders, that like that was one of the most violent cards in UFC history. There was like three injuries, uh, like. I, I, a different Al Hassan gets his arm bent backwards by Steve Cantwell. Corey Anderson snaps oh, his yeah. leg. Uh, Tim Credor uh, breaks uh, Nate Lorenz's ribs and then uh, just beats his beats his face in for a round and forces a corner stoppage for the rib injury. Yeah. Uh, you you got the 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 Ben Saunders kneeing face into oblivion. Uh, Mike Swick's thirty second KO of Jonathan Goulet. Uh, no, Yoshida like, getting like bombed on like it was just an insane card. Like I remember watching that card going like. Dude, they're Kumite rules. Like, I never just, especially just being so violence hungry as we are. Like, I, it's one of the few times where I stopped and goes, like, do I really want more violence tonight? Like, I actually asked myself that question. <laughs> that yeah, I remember that card. That was that part, that card was crazy. But in defense, I just got it pulled up. We'll close off with this, I guess. But UFC Fight Night 13 that I always mention. There's only two decisions on that whole card, which was Josh Neer's win over Den Thomas. And uh, Gray Maynard's win over Frankie Edgar, which I would argue was entertaining, especially, you know, the stakes of that fight. They were both undefeated. That was Frankie Edgar's first loss, sparked Mm -hmm. off a trilogy. And then uh, I'm surprised I also didn't see the – I don't know. With with, with Nate Diaz's double bird – because I don't hear that reference that much, but it's a popular finish over, of course, one of my favorite – what's up with me and Jersey Lightweights? But uh, Batman Pellegrino, Kurt Pellegrino. Yeah, Kurt Pellegrino. He's one of my favorite fighters for for, for a while. I love watching that guy fight. (laughs) Yeah, I had a th- I had a I had like a thing for those dudes too because I really liked Pellegrino. I really really liked Big Dog. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh Ricardo, uh, Jiu Jitsu dude, still tra- teaches out there for Edgar and those guys. Oh, uh, Almeida. Um, Almeida. Yeah, yeah, I really liked watching Almeida fight. Um, yeah, I liked I liked uh, a lot of those dudes too. Yeah. Anyways, that was a. Solid, this is solid cards, but uh, yeah, those are the things I was looking at because a lot of those, those you could really pull any of those. But I, of course, I pulled the James Irvin Houston Alexander from that. But thanks, guys, for, for for listening. This was a this was a really fun fun list, Jordan. Yeah, I agree, man. This is a fun one. Uh, any 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 last uh, l- l- last words, uh, plugs, any, any anything you, you want to say or, or shout before we get out of here, man? Not really, man. I uh, don't really have a lot going on in the way, but you can follow me on Twitter. But uh, yeah, yeah, whatever, man. I'll be I'll be happy to be back next time, and uh, I'll, be, I'll look forward to talking to you then. All right, he's at jyork87. I'm at Dan Tom MMA. The podcast on all social media platforms is at the PYM Podcast. Use hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast to communicate with us. Top five list, top five ideas. 
uh, or just bullshit, whatever, uh, feel free to hit us up on there. Thanks again. Hope you all have a good weekend or enjoying this kind of a UFC break, I dare say. Uh, regardless of what you do, get outside, get outdoors, and always protect your neck.